You are listening to an audio from Redemption City Church. If you would like to explore more resources or donate to this ministry, go to www.visitredemptioncc.com. Hi guys, my name is Brandon, and I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption City Church, and you are about a couple moments away from listening to a sermon exhortation, and it's going to be legit. Now, I have a wise and biblical invitation for you to risk something today, and it's going to be at the heart level and at the head level. Let's start with the head. You know, in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8, it says that our thoughts are not like God's thoughts, and our ways are simply not like God's ways. And so the invitation today is that you would take your thoughts, hold them captive, and to look at the Word of God and to change your thoughts upon the text that you see today. And then at the heart level, we see in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 7, that we are not to lean on our own understanding. We say it here at RCC that our feelings are not to be the boss. And so if we take this anthem today and we say our feelings and our thoughts are both going to be under the subjection of the Word of God, beautiful things can occur in this sermon and in any sermon that you listen to. So that's our hope and that's our aim. Let's proceed with today's sermon. Grace and peace. Oh man, no more sin. Let's lock in and collect that win. If you have your Bibles, and I really hope you do, let's open it to the book of Jonah, chapter 2, verse 8, and we're going to be all in that text in just a little bit. As we continue forward in our Jonah series, I want to remind you that this series is all about discovering God's compassion, praise Christ, and our opportunity to join Him in it. Now, Now, I want to remind you that our aim throughout this entire Jonah series, and we're marching and tracking towards the end of it, right? We, we have one more sermon after this, and, and our aim throughout this is, is to remind you that the Old Testament and the stories in it that often seem outlandish and distant and totally removed from our culture are altogether practical and relevant and infinitely important for you and me as everyday Bible-believing, Christ-exalting Christians. And, and the book of Jonah specifically has been revealed to us by God, and it's most definitely for God in order that we might avoid some of the dangers and the trappings of our unforgiving and sometimes, honestly, our, our hostile heart towards those who he decides and who he deems is worthy and, and who he wants to offer redemption to. Therefore, the aim of quick obedience and not delayed obedience, which, with, which is just a fancy way of saying disobedience, is going to be our aim transformationally throughout throughout this series. And, and folks, today's sermon is just as jam-packed as, as last week, so we're going to be skipping the sermon review again because we have so much to cover. And so if you missed part five, man, I want to encourage you to go back and, and listen to that in its entirety because it sets the whole stage for what we're going to talk about today. And, and that brings us to today's sermon, part six, titled, God Wants Nothing Less Than Your Full and undivided attention. And this is going to be segment B of this conversation. It's going to be all about revival through God, who is the God of second chances. Now, now last week we had a true church miracle here because Pastor Brandon made it through a whole uh, chapter of the Bible in one sermon in one week. And that, that never happens. But surprise, surprise, here we are again in the Word of God taking on another 
verse and another theme and another precept to see all that God has for us. And, and today's goal is going to be the same as last week's, namely that we're going to go from one verse to the end of the verse of all of chapter 3 in, in one sermon. So I'm going to need you to help me do that today. So we're going to pick up, though, in, in verse 8 of, of chapter 2. That's where we're going to start because it's going to be the best launch pad for us to kind of wisely navigate and walk ourselves into chapter, re, chapter 3. So, so open your Bibles right now and let's, let's get ready for that. And, and, and just to begin, I want to remind you that we're right in the middle of Jonah's journal, his, his prayer right here in chapter Chapter 2, verse 8. So, so if you want to see things change in your own lives, folks, just remember that it always starts, it always starts with prayer. It never starts with working harder or working longer or striving deeper or, or thinking smarter. Instead, God wants us to just descend down upon our knees and be ready to submit to him and to commit to him without folks, without restraint. So uh, just tell the truth right now. Like, don't you have a, a really robust, deep desire for something to either change or let up or, or alter within your life? Okay, but, but what are you actually doing about that? And what are you actually searching for? Because if you're not careful, you're going to be searching for that in, in an infomercial somewhere, or you're going to be buying it from some self-help book, or worse, you're going to be trying to find that and search for that within your own faulty feelings. And for some, if you're not careful, you're going to buy that in your next relationship. And you're going to buy that on your next vacation. You're going to try to buy that in your next big success. But listen, it always starts with the Lord and your willingness to give him your full and undivided attention. Now, we, de we d dive deep last week on how Jonah got to this place where he's actually in this place of wanting to pray and being willing to pray and then committing to pray. And, and we remember that that journey was not easy at all. It was not a pretty journey because he was in the middle of the ocean in the belly of a whale, and it wasn't until that point, folks, that he was in a position to hit the ground and to lift his eyes up to the Lord. And I want you to really catch that. I want you to really catch that today because we're going to be studying that in just a few moments. So let's look at what Jonah says right now from this position, finally, of some humility and, and commitment to the Lord in, in verse 8. It's, it's on your screen. And the word of the Lord says, Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Oh man, folks, just a few verses prior, that was our man Jonah. He was the very thing he's talking about in verse 8. Like Jonah was that someone who had paid regard in a big way to vain idols. And his idols were things like his own freedom and his own perspectives and his own and his own philosophy, right? And, and basically Jonah's saying, if, if you take the route that, that I did, you're, you're ultimately going to forsake your opportunity to experience the steadfast love the steadfast love of of the lord and, and he continues on in verse 9 saying but with the voice of thanksgiving will will sacrifice to you excuse me but i with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you what i have vowed i will pay salvation belongs to the lord 
Wow, so Jonah is having a mini revival right in front of our very eyes. Can, can you see that? And, and what I don't want you to miss today is a deeper look at this word and this concept and this march and this life anthem that we all need to be on, folks, and it's, it's revival. So, so to start things off, uh, I want to give you a faithful definition from the Oxford Dictionary, actually, on what revival means. And, and I'll be honest, I was surprised that I even, uh, I'm presenting this because I usually don't like secular definitions on, on biblical realities, but, but Oxford Dictionary did a really faithful job to the best they could looking at this word that we as Christians know, is so very important in our lives. Now, at the end of today's sermon, I'm going to give you my pastoral definition of revival, and I think that's going to be super helpful, but this is a perfect place for us to start right now. So, so here we go. Here's the definition of revival by Oxford Dictionary. It's, it's on your screen. Revival is an improvement in the condition or strength of something. Okay, it's a particular instance of something becoming popular, active, or important again. It's a new production of an old play or a similar work. More concretely, revival is a restoration to bodily or mental vigor, to life or consciousness. And in a religious sense, revival is a reawakening of a religious zealousness, especially by means of a series of evangelistic meetings. Wow. Folks, like, can't you see? The very definition of revival contains the prefix re, which means to do again. And if you look deeply at the Oxford Dictionary, I want you to take notice of some affirming word choices that is embodied in this, in this definition. I'm going to put it back on the screen for you. Okay, here it is. It says, an improvement of a condition. Okay, okay, that means that the origin of the condition already existed. Okay, think with me. We've got to be student learners and we've got to be deep thinkers today. Okay, a particular instance of something being important again, meaning at one time it was already considered important. Okay, a new production of a similar work, meaning the work was already established and existed. Oh man, we're, I'm going to be preaching to you today. Keep, keep tracking. Okay, the restoration and reawakening of a religious disposition of zeal, meaning this zeal was already there before. Okay, so, so what I want you to understand is that you've already been vibed. Like, like if you've been walking with the Lord for any real length of time, you've already been vibed. Are you tracking with me? We had our tap out and, and look up and link moment already in our lives. We've, we've felt that passion and we've, we've embodied that hope and we've felt that power and we've had that hunger and we've had that excitement before. Okay, well, that's also true of Jonah as well. He already, folks, have been vibed long ago. That's why we know and he, we know because he's been called and commissioned, named under the position of being a prophet. So, so Jonah's been vibed for some time now. And, and let's just be honest with each other this morning. Some of you have been just coasting and coasting in your spiritual walk with the Lord for some time now. Though you were vibed at one point, you've been walking spiritually asleep. And, and in your heart, you know that you need to be turned up a little bit because things are just mellowing out way too much in your walk 
with the Lord. And, and that's why we're here to talk. And, and for the honest people, you don't really like what you're doing right now in your relationship with Jesus and, and perhaps even with others. And, and you most definitely want more, right? More activity and vibrancy and connection with the Lord. And, and even though you have like a, a measure of confidence that you're, that you're going to go to heaven when you die, deep down inside, you know you know that there's more in store and there's another door for you when it comes to your relationship with Jesus. And so you're hungry to thrive again. Okay, well, if that's you, you're listening to a great sermon today because that's exactly what we're going to be studying today, namely revival. And we're going to be studying it with some faithful steps that I've put together to help us think through this in some game-changing ways. And all you have to do is to give God your full and undivided attention, folks, for the next couple hours. Okay, so so right here in in verse chapter uh in chapter 2 verses 8 and 9, Jonah is is talking about the ways of the world being vanity and and that the ways of his own steps and and the ways that he was doing things were were meaningless and now he's he's committing to the Lord. And I just want to remind you that this man this man's about to die. And don't you forget that because the context is important. At the time that Jonah is making his final piece that we're reading about with the Lord, he genuinely believes he's going to die down here in the belly of the well. And as he prepares for death, he's singing and proclaiming, God, you are good, and God, you are great, and I'm going to serve you, and I lift you up, and I worship you, and I extol you. And he's doing this, and he's committed to doing this, folks, into his final breath. And, and just as he makes this beautifully difficult commitment, look at what happens in verse 10. Right here, Verse 10 says, And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Yuck. That, that's gross, right? And I bet you that vomit never looked so good and so appealing to our man Jonah as it did on that day, right? That was some spirit-filled vomit that had to make Jonah so relieved because that vomit represented that, that he was out, folks. He was out of that belly of that well. And so, and so here's Jonah. He's, he's covered in vomit. And I promise you, he doesn't care at all about that vomit compared to where he came from. And I imagine he was saying something like, cool, like seriously, if that's what it takes, if I got to be covered in vomit to arrive on dry land again, man, if this is what it takes for me to be walking with the Lord again and be talking with the Lord again, sign me up. I'm fine with that. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for dry land. Okay, so so quick question. Does anyone today have a little vomit in their story? Just be honest. Does anyone have a backstory that's that's not pretty, but yet God used it to get you where you're at today? Come on. I want you just to just to tell the truth. Well, well, I'm going to be brave as your pastor today and I'll let you know that I most definitely have several versions of, of vomit in my story. And I'm thankful to Jesus for everything he's done through them. I'm, I'm thankful for my vomit and, and I'm thankful for my turns for the worse. And I'm thankful, folks. I'm really genuinely thankful for my wells. And, and don't get me wrong, I'm not thankful for those things in and of themselves. I'm not lifting them up like they're worthy to be praised, but I'm thankful for what they represent, namely God's relentless pursuit for me and what he did in them and through them on my behalf. Folks, 
for the revivals that I've experienced within them and the great mercy that God's given me because of them, I can genuinely say that I'm thankful. Okay, so let's officially cross over now to, to Jonah chapter 3 because I need you to understand that. I need you to understand the weight of that. This man is in the belly of the well. He's praying and he's lifting up. And he's committing to the Lord. He has no expectation of earthly blessings. And then in that moment, the well bleh, puts him on the seashore of Nineveh. And here we go. Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. It's, it's on your screen. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Wow. Okay, so how many times have you personally received a word from the Lord? Like something simple like, Brandon, you shouldn't be at this thing, or Brandon, I want you to do this, or just a word from the Lord. It could have been in a sermon. It could have been from a friend. It could have been in so many ways. How many times have you received a word from the Lord? Okay, well, did you know that we serve a God who is the God of second chances? He, he just is. Seriously, we serve a God that gives second chances and third chances and fourth chances and 35th chances. Now, now let me ask you a deeper question. How many of you have failed the Lord in one way or the other, let's say more than 10 times? Raise your hand. If you failed the Lord in, in, in more than 10 different ways, raise your hand. Okay, now, now, how many of you have made a promise to the Lord in something, and then you didn't keep that promise, and you failed, let's say, at least 50 times? Raise your hand. I want you to raise your hand. Okay, okay, now, how many of you prideful people just lied right through your little soul by keeping your hand down the whole time? Listen carefully, because what I'm about to say is subtle, yet it's infinitely, infinitely important. Lean in real quick. The message from the Bible is always good news, folks, and it's not good advice. I'm going to say that again. The message from the Bible is always, always good news, and it's not good advice. Listen, we really don't need any more good advice in our lives. Folks, good advice comes a dime a dozen and is permeating all over our planet. Instead, what we need desperately is really, really, really good news. Are you with me? You see, good news is news that depicts what God has already done, praise Christ, whereas good advice puts all the pressure on you to get something done in light of that advice. Are, are, you, are you tracking with me? Good news is an instantaneous blessing, whereas good advice is an instantaneous burden that you receive no matter how good that advice no matter how good that advice may be. Okay, so, so advice says that if you don't do it right, then you're going to get in trouble and you're going to lose out and you're going you're to pay a penalty of some sort. But, but good news is that God is always relentless in his pursuit for you with love and, and kindness and forbearance and forgiveness towards you. Are you seeing them juxtaposed to each other? Now, now check it out. For, for all the people that raised your hand and you acknowledge that you have failed the Lord at least 50 times, and, and there's at least 50 times that you said, Lord, I'm going to do this, and, and you didn't do it, and you didn't keep your word, do, do you want to know what kind of person you really are? You know, like, you want to know who you really, really are with that track record of failing 50 times or more so miserably? Okay, I'm going to tell you. You're a redeemed person. That's who you are. The Bible teaches us that you are, you're just a very real and a very normal 
person. Okay, and, and good advice would provide you with many things you, you should do to avoid failing again. But if you fail that advice, you see what I'm saying? Good news says do all these different things. But if you fail that advice, then you become a loser and you become a failure again. And, and that's because you didn't execute with perfection that good advice. But good news will tell you that despite your 50 failures, Jesus took care of it on the cross, and you're completely and utterly free again to try again. That's so important for you to understand today. So instead of being a loser and a failure, you're redeemed and recategorized as victorious. And, and, that's, because, and that's not going to be dependent upon how, how perfect you executed anything. But because of what Jesus did on the cross in his perfection, you took on perfection, namely because of Jesus' rescue plan for you. Okay, now, now remember, when you read the book of Jonah, you really are looking at three three important characters the whole time on display constantly and, and simultaneously, and they're interplaying the whole time. So, so I'm going to put them on your screen to make sure that you're keeping these in tension. The whole series is so important. So, so here they are. Here's these three important characters. Okay, character number one is the character of man. And we're looking at the character of man through the eyes of Jonah. Are you with me? Okay, Character number two is the human, um, the human race. And we're looking at that through the lens of the people of Nineveh or, or the Ninevites, okay? And then character number three is the character of God. And we're looking through that through the lens of our mighty heavenly Heavenly Father. And, and the most important character that we've been learning about in this series, we know the answer by now, right, is God and God alone. And that's because he doesn't want you to mistakenly misrepresent who he is and to misunderstand who he is so that you can have access to him and all that he brings. And you can offer that to others. Because if you misrepresent the Lord and make him look mad and, and hostile and angry and intolerant and, and judgmental, you distort the beautiful, beautiful reality that he's holy and that he's right and that he's good and that he doesn't change. And some of the most important areas that he doesn't change in, folks, is in his love. The, he doesn't change in his love because we do the right thing or we do the wrong thing. He doesn't change in his love because of how perfect we walk in this life his love is constant his love is never ending and it does not adjust based upon our behavior now now did you know that first john chapter 4 verse 8 teaches us that god is love and love is both truth and grace combined you got to check that out you see god wants us to see that his love is relentless and that he will pursue us and that he's going to give us a well if we need one to make sure we get where we're supposed to go but the motivation for him is never wrath it's always from a place of of love okay so so let's get into the rest of of verse two now it's it's on your screen Verse 1 said, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. Okay, now, now why was this city referred to, um, referred to, referred to by God as great? 
Okay, well, it's because it's huge. It's it's incredibly huge. In fact, verse 11 of John uh, Jonah chapter 4, we'll, we'll get there later, is going to tell us that there was about 120,000 kids that were under the age of five living in this great city of Nineveh. Folks, that's at least over 2 million people in this ancient city. So yes, yes, this was a great city. Great in stature is what God is, is referring to. And, and God was calling Jonah to preach a very specific message to the people that he wanted them to hear. Okay, let's, see, let's keep tracking. Verse, verse 3. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was exceedingly was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in in breath. Like, like, are you kidding me? The fact that Nineveh would require a three-day journey to get from one end of the city to the other? That's huge. So, so okay, listen, I'm currently in a walking ministry right now with a few men in our church, and it's been a really awesome experience. I've been enjoying it a lot. Folks, we walk over 100 miles over the course of a 35-day period, and we track it all as, as we go. Now, the most I've been able to walk so far in a one-day period, you know, especially with my disability, is a, um, 11 and a half miles. And I can tell you, when I get to the end of the day after walking 11 and a half miles, I am I am super duper tired. And, and at the time that I'm recording this sermon, at least, Brother Noah in our church, he holds the record for the longest uh, walk in, in one day, which is 15 miles long. Okay, so Rockstar Noah uh, got that done in approximately four hours and 38 minutes. I got it right here written down for the sermon. He did it in four hours and 38 minutes. Like, legit, Noah, you're, you're legit. Now, according to my app that kind of computes everything, it would take Noah approximately two more hours to walk the full distance from one point of Beaverton, the city of Beaverton, to the end point of Beaverton, which is a total of 19.5 miles long. Okay, so, or maybe that's four miles. He has four more, two more. Okay, okay, so what does that tell you about the about the size of Nineveh? That's the point. What do you think about that? Because the fact that Noah could get from one end of, of Beaverton to the whole other end of uh, Beaverton in around seven to nine hours shows you just how huge Nineveh was, folks, because it would take Noah three days to get from one point of, of Nineveh to the end. Can you imagine doing that, Noah? Now, now, folks, this city was massive, and it was seven times the city of Beaverton. This And this isn't this is an ancient city. This isn't modern-day 2021 Los Angeles. Okay, keep track with me. I'm, I'm taking it somewhere. Verse, verse 4. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. So, so he tracks now about a day in. So you can get some proximity about how big the city is. And he's about one day's journey into the city of Nineveh. And he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now, do you think that Jonah's message got some really serious amount of downloads on Nineveh's YouTube channel? I mean, can you imagine this? The city of Beaverton will be overthrown and demolished in 40 days and you're going to die if you don't change things. 
Uh, yeah, yeah. My man Jonah was getting their attention with that turn or burn message that he came with, and he brought that he brought that heat. And this was an eternal message, folks, for an eternal, an eternal people. Okay, okay. But let's track to verse verse five because what happens next is completely, completely unbelievable to me, and that's why I believe the Lord has recorded it to keep it alive for us today, so that we can behold this. Because I find verse five to be completely unbelievable. Here it is. It's, it's on your screen. And the people of Nineveh believed God from the greatest of them to the least of them. Okay. Now, if you ask me, Jonah gave a really crummy sermon according to our standards of what we are used to listening to in an American temporary church context of a message or a sermon. I mean, it was only about eight words long, and that just doesn't play well in the average Christian church or conference in today's world does it like like he didn't even give any sermon illustrations or ted talk stories or or it was just bare bones i mean this was a crummy message folks yet god calls him to go there and and he was walking at this point in obedience to the lord and and when you are walking in obedience to the lord you can have real real solid confidence that that miracles and provision and pathways all of them open up for you praise christ because that's how the possible becomes the possible, namely through obedience. Now, now, did you know that there was this time where Peter was on a boat um, in, in a really terrible storm, and, and he said, God, if it's your will, tell me to come out to walk on this water. Now, folks, no one, and I mean no one, can walk on water. It's completely impossible unless, unless God tells you to do it. And because God told Peter he could walk on water, Folks, Peter was able to pull it off. And, and God told Jonah to go to Nineveh because he wanted to save these people. So when Jonah got there and he preached this short, little, crummy message, people got saved. Okay? They just did. Therefore, when we do what God says to do, good things, folks. Good things are always, always gonna follow now now you and i we like to argue and we like argue we like to wrestle against the lord and say things like lord like have you really really considered what you're trying to accomplish over here with with the ninevites like perhaps you, sh you should consider a different message because jo jonah loves being your prophet but he, he doesn't just he doesn't like this assignment to the ninevites and and if you're asking me That's that's kind of understandable. So why why can't you just send them on a different message and send them on a different mission somewhere else? And and while we're at it, I think it's best um, while we're having this inventory conversation that I do children's ministry or or serve in the soup kitchen. I, I really don't want to be in women's ministry anymore. Uh, okay, okay, okay. Quick question: How many times do you do what you want to do, and you make that the priority of what the Lord's telling you? Just, just take it seriously. How many times do you do what you want to do and you make that the priority over what the Lord's calling you to do? Okay, well, if that's you, the Lord is saying, okay, well, well, I want you to do what I want you to do. And when you do that, watch out because good things 
are going to happen for you. Man, verse 5 just blows my mind. It absolutely overwhelms me in all the right ways. Like, like, like think about it. This, this basic and short message, this, this pseudo-obedient pro come on. Joe doesn't even want to be here. He has an attitude about everything he's doing. So this pseudo, this short message, this, this pseudo-obedient prophet shows up and is like, ah, 40 days to make a different choice or you're going to die. Deal with it. Like, like that's the message that's delivered. And off of that message, millions of people get saved and not one of them is lost. Not even one. Are you kidding me? Okay, lean in. So when you're in the Lord's will, it's sweet because there's no stress and pressure on you. And, and there's no stress or pressure because God's going to do what he says he's going to do. And that includes when he does it through you. Praise Christ. We just get to go on the journey. And, and, and that's and that is legit. So, so from the greatest to the least of them in Nineveh, they were all saved. Yet, yet look at how far God's plans go as we track into verse, verse 6. Then the word reached the king of Nineveh. Oh, man. Now, now you would have thought that Jonah would have started with a legit political campaign. I mean, you're going to this city, right? You would have think that Jonah would have came with a, a legit political campaign and, and, and smooching with the mayor of the city and, and getting in with the, with the higher-ups of the city, stuff like that. That's how we act in our culture. I mean, how, how, how we do things is we get all strategic and planning to make sure that we are dealing with the most influential people that have power and authority and position. But our man Jonah, called by God, just starts preaching one day into the city to whoever, folks, would listen. Just like Jesus came and gave his message first to the least and the last and the lost before he ever was speaking before people like the kings and the Caesars of authority, our man Jonah, 800 years prior to Jesus, was following that very same blueprint of meek and modest ministry. Blessed are those who are meek, right? So Jonah's doing this, this meek and modest ministry to anyone who would listen to him in the streets. Okay, so eventually word got to the king of Nineveh, but guess who was already there working on his heart? God was already there. Like, can't you see? God is always working on both ends of the equation, folks. He's working through you to get to someone, and he's working on them before you get there. Oh, that's legit. Folks, while God was bringing the mariners, remember chapter one, don't you forget about them, the boatsmen, while God was, was bringing the mariners on the boat into a right relationship with him, remember they made that decision in Christ and they got snorkeling ministries going on now, he was at that same time bringing an appointed fish, an appointed well to move Jonah where he needed to be as well. It was a both-end situation. And while Jonah was preaching to millions and millions of people in the streets, God is out here working simultaneously on the king's heart, both and. This, this is, and this is good news, because sometimes you may struggle with, it, with something that I struggle with, and it's called the savior complex. Have, have you ever heard of that? Okay, well, I've, I've put together a, a simple yet a profound pastoral definition for us to work through, because this is a, this is a real problem for some people, and, and I want to help you 
think and work through that. So here it is. It's on your screen. The, the savior complex is when a Bible-doubting, Christ-limiting Christian puts the full responsibility of the Great Commission and the associated branches of reconciliation and redemption, folks, is when you put it all on yourself. It's when you try harder and harder to make things happen and to transform people's lives and to make ministries grow and to solve people's problems and to end people's pain on your own. But, but guess who is actually responsible to save and rescue people out of darkness? Jesus is, folks. That's who's responsible. He's your Savior. But guess what else is true? He's also your Savior and the Savior of those who you're trying to minister to. And sometimes we forget that. So, so saving the whole world, that's not our job. Instead, our job is to focus our attention on being obedient to what God has called us to do. And in that, we become great helpmates to God in his rescue plan of saving the whole world. No, 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 I'm going to say that again. Saving the whole world is not our job. Instead, our job is to focus our attention on being obedient to what God's calling us to do as a glad helpmate to him who's leading the charge to rescue the whole world. So, so God saves the world and, and we participate in it, right? We've been talking about that in, in every series. What's our part in it? God saves the world and we join him and participate. We participate in it. It's, it's really that simple. Okay, so let's, let's look at verse, verse 6 again. There's, there's more for us to see. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, and covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. Okay, so so remember, okay, so remember, this is the king of Nineveh. And so so he's already in a bad mood, and he's always ready to pop off and do bad things if he has the right circumstances. And if you're the king of Nineveh, Almost everything qualifies for being in a bad mood and being ready to kill some mofos, right? Okay, because because you are the king of the most feared and notorious and murderous nation known to man of that age and some consider of all of its all time. And don't forget, this was the same king of the people who, uh, excuse me, that when he came to your town, you decided to commit suicide and murder everyone in your own village, your own wife, your own... The king of Nineveh is coming. The king, the king of Nineveh is coming. Kill us all. It's, it's that king. Because it was better to die and to kill off your own family than to allow the king to send his soldiers into your city and, and to be captured. But, but all of a sudden, that guy, this king of Nineveh, when this scary bad dude was struck with the truth of God Almighty, he both humbled himself, humbled himself and adjusted his entire direction in his life and changed everything. Miracle. Like, like, have you ever seen that happen to somebody before in your life? You know, where, where there's humility and, and total freedom and an adjustment of their entire trajectory after living in the complete opposite direction for so long. Because I have, and it's a beautiful thing to behold. It just is. And, and here we see the king getting a direction change of a lifetime. Okay, so let's look at uh, verse, verse 7 and 8. 
And he issued, this is the king Nineveh, the bad dude who's now becoming the good dude because of God, legit. And, and he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Are you kidding me? Okay, that's it. Eyes up here with your mind so clear. Eyes up here with your mind so clear. Okay, so everyone is fasting and, and everyone is covered in sackcloth and ashes to heighten their spiritual senses and to minimize the comfort of their flesh. Think about that. Folks, these people even went as far as making sure their animals and their livestock were participating in this revival. And, and we all know that the animals were probably thinking to themselves, what's going on? We don't get anything. We don't even get this. We're animals. Moo? I mean, like, seriously, but what's so beautiful to behold and what I want to make sure you see right now is the excitement and the passion that the Ninevites were demonstrating as they genuinely wanted to cover all their bases when it came to their sin. Oh man, that that's legit. And, and I just love seeing new Christians get so pumped and, and so excited and so mind blown about being in their new relationship with Jesus. It's, it's truly the best. They just bring every single thing in their life, particularly the things that are not that are wrong, into subjection to the Lord. And, and they bring everything into account and they bring everything into the light. And there's just such a purity and an innocence and an immaturity in, in that mixture, right, that you see when in a young, um, new, newly activated believer. Like, do you remember when that used to be you? Do you remember that? You remember when you first tapped out, looked up, and linked in, and you were that baby, that baby Christian? Remember when you were a new believer, and you started confessing everything at once, and you were overwhelmed, and you were excited and passionate about your God? And do you remember going back to your marriage, or your family, or, or your school friends, or wherever you were doing and tracking at that point in your life, and you just start complaining about everything you saw, sin, 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 and you're just honestly going crazy bonkers? For, for Jesus. You're calling out anything and everything that's not of God. That's what they're experiencing. Okay, so so all of a sudden, uh, you you were this new preacher, and you're, you're this new judge, and you're the new jury in your family structure, in your friendship circles, and you're really irritating, and you're 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 and you're making everybody annoyed with you. Man, that's such a that's such a beautiful place to be as a new as a new believer. Okay, so what I want you to know is that when, when God does a work in people, when God gets a hold of a person's heart, it's real and it's raw and it's it's everlasting. It's it's not just immature and it's not a momentary zeal. It's the real deal. I mean, just look at what comes next in, in verse 9. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not 
perish. This was the end of what, of what the king of Nineveh was saying. Wow, now, now that shows, folks, some, some real mature faith in these brand new believers being led by the king of Nineveh, a brand new believer, because they are choosing to do the right thing. I want you to see this. Even though they don't necessarily know if it's going to stop God from doing what he's already declared that he's going to do. I'm going to say that to you again. Verse 9 says, who knows? Meaning, we don't know. God may turn. He may relent. He may turn from his, his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Folks, they're doing what they're doing, knowing that God may not change his ultimate decision, but they're praising God and they're tapping out and they're being obedient anyway. And this leads to a very important takeaway that we all need to activate in our lives as mature Christians. It's, it's on your screen. This is the mark of being a mature Christian. The mature, I mean, the mark of a mature Christian is most clearly seen when he or she does the right thing, no matter the outcome. That's, that's really important. The mark of a mature Christian is most clearly seen when he or she does the right thing, no matter the outcome. Folks, our obedience to the Lord has absolutely nothing to do with outcomes. It's about doing what's right because God says and declares that it's right. But, 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 but Pastor Brandon, what about this and what about that? What if, what if, what if? No, no, no. That's not your place and that's not your problem and that's not your decision. Your obedience belongs to the Lord. That's your focus, my brother and sister. Folks, these Ninevites were absolutely hoping that God would graciously relent from his decision. You better believe it. They definitely were hoping. The king sang it right in his speech. Man, I hope he relents. But the change of their direction and what they were going to do was not conditional on the Lord blessing them in the earth realm. They chose to focus their priorities on what God was asking of them right now. And, and, and you also don't know what God's going to do or ask of you in the future. Me and you, we don't know that. You don't know how things are going to turn out for you by obeying the Lord. And I talk about this so often in pastoral counseling. Like, well, if I do all these things and I lean in and I, and I accept my husband's forgiveness and I do all, what's, gonna, what's God going to do for me at the end? I don't know. I really don't know. But what God's telling you to do today is to obey him right now. And the answer, the question is, Will you do that? Well, well, actually, Pastor Brandon, I don't, I don't believe that I even know what God's asking me to do right now. It's, it's hard to discern the Lord. Okay, okay. okay. Well, then I'm going to tell you, and I want you to remember this for the rest of your life. God is asking you right now to walk humbly in everything you're doing. Think about if you took this seriously in that marriage conflict, in that relational conflict, in that church conflict, to walk humbly to do everything justly, to love mercifully, to walk with circumspection and to stay sober and to stay awake every day in your life. And in these days of darkness, he wants you to live on purpose, fully recognizing that you are a servant of the Lord of all purpose. He's asking for you and me to be a warrior and a soldier and a lover within his powerful army, gladly participating in the Christian war. That is what 
That's what he's asking of you today. Okay, so let's, let's track to, to verse 10 now. J- chapter 3, verse 10, it's, it's on your screen. When God saw what they did, well, what did they do? Their repentance, the, their, their ownership, their, their, their cries and, and, and their confessions and their love for one another and the putting down of evil and putting down of malice. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil way, what does it say? God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Wow, what a special gift from our special God. That's that's a great place for us to open things up in a real way. Let's let's bow our heads and let's let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name now, as we commit this time of, of reading and studying to you, we ask that you would illuminate our hearts in such a way that there would be lasting transformation. God, I I pray that your word would do a work for us that only you can cause it to do. And And I pray that your Holy Spirit would seal the deal. Lord, I pray that you would keep us out of all darkness and and the attempts of the enemy to undo everything that you're doing today. And and Jesus, I pray that there would not just be listening, but but that there would be a new type of of doing. I pray that, that obedience would be seen in our feet and not just in our ears and in our minds. I pray that we would agree both in in mind and in deed with the things you're calling us to do. Jesus, I pray for revival to be born in the hearts of those who are hungry and thirsty for it and they're needy for it. Lord, I pray that you would bless me as your teacher and that you would use me to accomplish only that which you want me to accomplish today. I surrender myself to you and I ask you for your glory to shine through me. It's because of your beautiful name that the people of God said, Amen. Amen. Folks, life can be pretty awesome sometimes, right? I mean, it can be really awesome and really fun sometimes to live our lives. And and we're living in a day and in an age where we love taking selfies about this and, and selfies about that and family portraits about this and company photos supported to this cause about that. Indeed, folks, life can really be sweet at times in our life. So, so, so this past Friday, I was able to, to have two super effective counseling sessions with some clients that I care about so deeply. And I've been praying for the Lord to move the needle in some of their personal situations. And, and God really showed up for them. And, and it was just an amazing day. And so after both sessions, I went on a really nice walk and the sun was out, the temperature was great. And I just snapped a couple pictures of some really scenic areas along my walk. I live in a really beautiful area. And I was just like, wow, life's sweet right now and and life's good and and then on that Sunday a couple days later I went on an amazing night walk with my my oldest son Aiden and and the moon was out and 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 the temperature was just perfect and and I shined my iPhone up at the sky and I took a picture of of the night atmosphere and it was just an unfiltered beautiful 
beautiful evening. And then without Aiden even knowing it, uh, I was videotaping him because he kind of walked ahead of me uh, for, for a minute. And I kind of videotaped him for like five or six seconds. And I was just marveling at the fact that I'm on a night walk having deep conversation with, with, my, t- with my 12-year-old son, folks. I dreamed about having a son since I was like 16 and 17. And there was a time when I was super injured and, and broken down with my injury that I never knew if I was going to walk again and if I would ever walk with my, with my son. But here I was, and I was walking with them, and things were just perfect. And that night was amazing, and I was, and I was snapping pictures away. And, and then on that Tuesday... I was, uh, um, my lovely wife Jillian was having a sleepover with, with uh, my daughter Aubrey, and so they were fast asleep, and I was up late working on a sermon for the Jonah series, and then I kind of checked on them before I went to bed, and I opened the door, and they were both just sitting there, and, and they were asleep, and they looked so at peace, and so I took a little picture of, of my wife and my daughter, and how they were just so peacefully asleep, and that was an amazing, an amazing, an amazing day, and, and so there's also times, though, where we never want to take those pictures, right? Let's just be honest. There's days where there's no picture to be taken, and life is just, life is just difficult, and it's not sweet, and, and it's not awesome at all. Because we go through crises, and we go through situations, and, and they're just not memorable. And we most definitely don't want to remember them. Okay, so, so here's the deal about life that I want you to know. Here's the reality of life. It's, it's on your screen. God works in all of us, all at once, all in different ways, and all the time. That's, that's so important to say to you again. God works in all of us, all at once, all in different ways, all the time. Folks, through the, through the good times and, and the bad times, in the times that you want to last forever and ever and forever, and in the times that you wish never, ever happened, God works in them all, all at once, all the time. God is taking you everywhere you go through, and he's walking with you everywhere you're walking, and he's causing it all to work together for good for those who love him. And, and realizing that really sets you up to relax a little bit more and to say, this terrible situation too, despite the difficulty, will pass. But, but guess what else is true? The, the glorious moments and the, and the sweet moments that you just want to take pictures of and, and, and the moments that you want to last forever, those two folks, those two shall pass as well. Folks, the Bible teaches us that both sides of life the difficulty and the pleasure, the highs and the lows, they're all going to pass away eventually. Therefore, for the mature Christian, it's about being able to recognize and identify that your life is, is, def- is not defined by any specific event or, or any specific circumstance or experience at all. So, so when something bad happens and comes along your way that you never wanted and you're taken on water and you're walking to the valley of the shadow of death of that situation, you can have radical, radical confidence that this situation is not going to stay this way forever. That's the hope of us as Christians, because life is a process, folks. Are you with me? Life is a process, and Lord willing, it's a long, it's a long life process. And God has you right where you're at and has a plan from that place to lead you out to where he wants you to be at next. So so you have to hang on and let the Lord work in you whatever he's trying to work on 
in through you and trust that it's going to work out in the end for you and that you're going to be okay. But sometimes we get so myopic and we get so insecure and so overwhelmed with what's going on in our lives. And, and frankly, we just need someone to tell us to sit down and to relax just for a moment because the story of Jonah illustrates two main principles that I want you to keep securing in your heart as you grow and you deepen out as a lover of God. Okay, here it is. These are two very important principles. Number one, the relentless, unchanging, uncompromising pursuit of God will never stop for his people. Folks, he'll never, ever, ever stop loving you. And he'll never stop setting up opportunity and opportunity and opportunity and opportunity to receive him and to be a part of what he's doing. Remember this, this life principle. Okay, number two. We are repeat rebels who often want to do our own things our own way. And we see Jonah's heart, and we, we see the Ninevites' heart, and, and we see the issues that are, that are in man's heart from the birth of this book. We see all of that. And that's why the good news that God doesn't relent in his pursuit of people like us, repeat rebels, is so amazing and is so life-giving for us. Okay, so here's another question I have. Are you looking for a little adjustment or some change or relief or an alteration or a new direction in your life right now? Like, like well, well, I am and I, and I hope that you are. We all should be wanting to grow and have some adjustments and some changes and some relief and a new direction and alteration to walk more and more in step with the Lord. And so if you are, I want you to, to trace back with me right now through, through Jonah's story because God wanted to take Jonah's situation in life and to use him. That's what God was trying to do. But in order for God to use Jonah, Jonah had to be brought down and not your two. Are you with me? I just want, I just want to make sure that you're, that, that you're able to see that. And, and I want to know if you can relate to that. The Bible tells us to humble ourselves in the presence of God. And as a result of that, he will then lift us up and exalt us in due season. And yet the Bible also says that, says that God resists the prideful. First Peter chapter 5. Okay, so if you don't humble yourself before the Lord thy God, he's going to deal with that problem, right? This is what God does. He's going to do it for you. If you're not going to humble yourself, God, folks, he's going to humble you. So, so just humble yourself because things will always, always go better for you if you just humble yourself before the Lord. Otherwise, God will provide a well of a story in order to get you where he wants you to be. And God will knock you down a notch or two or 35 if he needs to, to get you where you need to be, which is to lay down and to look up to him with your full and undivided attention. And, and that's really good news. It's not bad news because once you get to the point where you're looking up, you start stepping up. And once you start stepping up your position for the Lord to get you fired up again, about your life and about the things he's calling you to do. Because by the time Jonah gets to verse 8 and 9 of, of, of chapter 2, Jonah's like, you know what, God? Come to think about it, you're the bomb.com. 
wow, you're, you're the way and you're the truth and you're, you're the life. You're it for me. I, I was all confused for, for a while, and, and I'm sorry for about all that, but, but I remember now who you are, and I remember who I am, and I'm going to give you everything, everything, Lord. I'm all in. And, and folks, right at that moment of this acknowledgement, you remember what happens next, right? <laughs> right? Vomit, wells, prophets, beaches, all this collides right here in the end of chapter 2 and in the beginning of chapter 3. So if you're experiencing, oh, this is good. So if you're experiencing pressure right now in your life, it may be because the Lord is trying to get you to humble yourself in this season for a reason. He may be needing you to hit hit the deck, folks. And, and that's so that you will look up, so you can get back up, so you can step up and live your life for Him again without without restraints. And, and this is an amazing place to be at because God will begin to lead you from that place of looking up to him, laying down and submitting to him into a new commitment to him. And we call that new commitment when we recommit to him. We call that revival, folks. And, and as a matter of fact, let's see how this worked in verse 8 because this is where Jonah finds himself after three days of an excruciating journey in the belly of a well. You checking? And, and most of us have always wondered what it looked like for Jonah to be in the belly of the well. We've thought about that, like, wow, wow, what, what would that have been like to be Jonah in the belly of a well? And, and we always see pictures in, in Sunday school of, of the, the belly kind of being illuminated in, 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 in that area, and Jonah's kind of just sitting there kind of in serenity in the belly of a well, and it's kind of, it's kind of weird. But, but in truth, like, how much life, come on, how much, I mean, excuse me, light, how much light do you really think was in the middle of that well? A lot or a little? Like, take a guess. Okay, there was none, folks. There was no light. Like, do you actually believe there was like little candles and a little sunroof going on in the belly of the well? Like, like no way, no way, folks. This was a crazy situation in the pitch black of dark. It would have been scary and stinky and immensely depressing and overwhelming for Jonah. And that's where Jonah was at. That's where he was. He was in the pitch black of a nasty, stinky place of the belly of the well. And from that point that God had him there for three days for a reason, I want you to remember that it was appointed. And, and after three days, Jonah was laying down and looking up and he was saying this. It's on your screen. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. And, and I'll be honest, there may be, um, that may be where you need to be today. That may be where many of us need to be today. Because, because Jonah is realizing that the things of this world and the philosophies and the practices that he had held on to as infinitely, infinitely important for his life were all vanity to him now. They're just meaningless. And, and he journaled right here. He pinned that those who are holding on to, to lesser things from the world would ultimately have nothing from God in the end. And folks, that's, that's sobering. And, and this is a matter of fact, okay? This is a matter of fact. When you go the way of the world, by default, you forsake the ways of the Lord. I'm going to say it to you again. When you go the way of the world, by default, you forsake the way, the way of God. And, and Jonah is in the middle of the well, now realizing that God's mercy and God's grace and, and God's kindness is infinitely, 
infinitely better than his philosophies and, and his practices. He's, he's getting that now. Okay, now, now here's the deal. Most of us agree with everything I just said, at least on paper, right? Like you'd say like, yeah, Pastor Brandon, like God's ways are better than, than, than my ways and God's ways are better than the world's way. Okay, 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 I get that. I get that on paper. Okay, but here's the thing. God does not want and he's not interested with some, some, some disagreement that you and I give verbally or intellectually agreeing with them in head theory. No, instead, our God on high wants your agreement and he wants your belief to be a part of your heart in such a way that it radically changes your trajectory and it changes your actives, your activity and your action steps because you trust him. Folks, God wants you to look at the ways of the world and to say from a place of genuine conviction, man, this place really is bankrupt and this world truly can't satisfy me. That's what the Lord is looking for us to say and mean and believe from our hearts. And, and here's the gospel truth. The ways of the world will ultimately nullify your allegiance to God as your king, and you will destroy the beautiful fruit you have the potential to produce for his kingdom, if you keep tracking like that. Therefore, the Lord will take you through seasons to help you realize that he's not looking for your agreement at the lip level. He'll take you through seasons to get you to understand that he's looking for your agreement and your obedience and your activity from the heart and the hand level. And, and I'll tell you what, when I went through my wayward days and, and I dabbled in the things of the world and I continued in that and I continued in that and I didn't stop continuing in that until I finally had a distaste, a real distaste for the world. And, and that's where it starts, folks. You have to have a distaste for the things of the world and an increasing taste for the Lord. You have to get to the point where you realize that it's all vanity and it's not your preferred destination. And at this point of chapter 2, Jonah was coming finally into that realization for his life. And instead of putting up a smokescreen and, and trying to juggle between God's desires and, and, and his this fleshly desires, he, he threw away the middle ground. He rejected the middle ground totally. You know what I said? Instead of trying to balance and work through God's desire, oh man, that's good news. I can't tell you how many people that I work with pastorally that are trying to mix together their agenda and God's agenda. Trying to, I even have people say, I'm trying to learn how to mature to the point where my ideas and God's ideas can, can better intersect and better intertwine. No, what Jonah was doing right here in the text is instead of playing the middle ground, he rejected it and he said, no, no, no. The things of this world are not for me. I'm choosing God. I'm choosing God's narrative, God's philosophies, God's practices, and God's, God's perspective. Okay, so let's look at verse 9. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Oh, man, I like this. I like it. I mean, I like it a lot because Jonah is in the belly of the well and he's deciding to worship the Lord. We talked about this. We got to worship in our storms. But, but where was he? Where was he? Was he on the beach yet? Right here? Come on, student learners. Is Jonah on the beach yet in verse 9? 
No, 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 no. Was he checking his updated itinerary and looking in and saying, hmm, I'm, I'm expected to arrive in Nineveh in just another day. Now that I know this on my itinerary, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to praise the Lord. Like, like, no, that's not what's happening. Jonah didn't know, folks. Jonah didn't know. But he was having a revival. He was having a spirit filled revival in his heart and he was singing he was exalting god from a desolate dry place do you do that do you do that in your life it's like job in chapter one when he said the lord gives and the lord takes but blessed be his name that that's deep therefore when the lord gives when the lord gives we call that a good day and when the lord takes it's most definitely come on it's it's a hard day for us but but on both days god is still worthy to be praised that's what job is trying to say on the good days and the bad days on the sweet days and the hard days blessed be his name because he's good. And on the lowest of my days, when my disability and my suffering were swallowing me whole for those first couple years, with, with when I was struggling with my neurological disability that was so significant that I lost 85% of my vocal cords ability and capacity, I couldn't even dress myself without physical assistance. I couldn't shower. I couldn't do anything without somebody doing it for me. I couldn't prepare my own food. I couldn't do anything totally disabled. Right from that dark place, I worshiped the Lord. And I sang my little voice out, that little 50% until I couldn't do it anymore. Man, I'm trying to preach to you right now. And here's Jonah right now. And he's not able to change his situation at all. He just can't, but he did have the power to change his countenance and he had the power to change his direction and he chose to worship the Lord and to sacrifice his agenda to jump on God's agenda through the vehicle of obedience. So do you see what's happening here? Do you see Jonas? Do you see a shift? Because there comes a time in your life where you also got to get off your butt and you got to get on your knees. You got to do that. There comes a point where you need to stop waiting for things to get easier and for things to get lighter and for things to get happier. And you need to do what God's telling, calling you to do right now in your storm. Folks, the way out of the storm is to be obedient in the storm. Hello. And, and here's the deal. And I can't say this enough times. When God asks you to do anything, when he asks you to serve or to sacrifice or to give or to relent or to pursue or to go or to arise or to call out, it's because in doing so, you get blessed. Are you tracking with me? There's immediate pressure release when you're obeying the Lord. There's immediate awesomeness when you're obeying the Lord. And there's immediate fruit and there's immediate joy. I promise you that. And check this out. As soon as Jonah got on the beach, he had an opportunity now to walk out his vows that he just made. Look at the beautiful picture of God. Just a verses before, Jonah's making vows, and now God's given him the opportunity to walk out those vows and to walk in his obedience. And that's because the situation finally, folks, began to let up for Jonah. The pressure was letting up. The pressure of being in the, in the ocean. The pressure of being in the well. The pressure was letting up. So if you are looking right now, and you're taking on water, and you're struggling right now, and you're looking for a release valve to your pressurized season that's, that's killing you and, and is pounding you and is punishing you, 
ask the Lord what he wants you to do and obediently do it, I promise you the release starts to occur. Now, I do not want you to over-romanticize what I'm talking about right now. We're not going to do that. We're going to faithfully preach this with attention points because this was not some hallmark situation. This is not some hallmark, hallmark movie that Jonah was experiencing on this seashore. Don't get it wrong. Don't get it twisted. Jonah was sitting there like, wow, I did what God said, and now all my pressure is gone. No, no way, folks. Jonah arrived, just to give you perspective on what I mean in the real, the real story of the Christian life, Jonah arrives on the seashore malnourished incredibly for three days. He's beat up. He stinks like nothing you've ever experienced. And most importantly, folks, Jonah's in tremendous pain. He, he, his nerve endings are on fire because of the gastric juices of that whale that has been eating away at his skin. This is a painful, painful situation. There are marks on Jonah's body that are going to be there for a lifetime. You, you better believe that. Now, now, did you know that if you were in the belly of a whale for three days, that you would come out naked, hairless, because of those same gastric juices? This, is already, this, is, this has already been proven. Folks, you would be so traumatized and so embarrassed and so filled with PTSD and completely, completely overwhelmed emotionally. Now, I say all of that to say this vital truth from Jonah. It's, it's on your screen. Rebellion costs a lot. Rebellion. Yeah, man. It just, it really does cost a lot. Rebellion cost, sin costs, doing things your way, it costs a lot. In fact, it costs Jesus his life. So when you walk on the wild side, listen to me, when you choose to walk on the wild side and you play with fire and you play with the bull and you get struck by its horns and things don't end well for you, Jesus is paying a heavy price for that. But folks, so are you. So are you in some really practical, practical ways. Now, now not only is, is Jonah malnourished and, and traumatized with no hair and no clothes and naked and embarrassed, one might say that he's not even really ready in his own strength to do anything for the Lord, let alone lead a physically demanding revival where he's going to be preaching and teaching to this great city. You, you, you with me? And, and you may be sitting, sitting here yourself and, and saying, man, Pastor Brennan, I'm so messed up and I'm so off track and I'm so discombobulated. I can't hear God's voice for anything anymore. My track record is so bad. I'm not qualified to do anything. Okay, if that's you and you feel your life is, is that screwed up and it's that discombobulated and you can't hear God's voice and you can't see left from right because you've messed up, listen to me. Eyes up here with your mind so clear. Eyes up here with your mind so clear. Pay attention. Here's the good news. It's not about Jonah. That's not what we're learning right now. It's not about Jonah. You hear me? We've been seeing that throughout the whole book. Track with me. We've been seeing through the whole book. It wasn't about how perfect his attitude or his actions were. It's about God, God, God's story, God's story. It's always about God. And so that's true for you as well, my brother and sister. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about us. It's about our 
God, Yahweh. And that's so freeing because when God is calling you to do something and when you are exalted to a new position, you do not need to cower away because of your past or your sin or your shame anymore. You are released in Jesus because of the cross. Because you are where you are and you're doing what you're doing because God has given you another opportunity. Step into that, my brother and sister. Folks, the Apostle Paul said it best when he said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Do you get the implications? It's twofold. It doesn't just mean that he wasn't ashamed of the gospel in terms of proclaiming it and, and, and telling others about it. He's saying, I'm not ashamed of what the gospel has done for me. I was a murderer. I was bad. I was wicked. I was dark. I was, I was known for killing Christians. And though everybody's looking at me like I'm a weirdo and I'm a wacko, I'm not ashamed of what the gospel means for my life. And now I'm armored up and I'm an apostle and I'm not ashamed. He said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel for it has the power of God for salvation to everyone. And I'm Paul and I'm not Saul. And I get to be one of the everyone's. That's what Paul's saying. Oh, read Romans differently. Read it differently. And, and the righteousness that he's proclaiming in that verse from this amazing, amazing verse is all about what Jesus has done and what God asked him to do. It's not about you, okay? You're not on trial for how perfect you walk, but you need to be obedient and trust the Lord. So if you can learn to remind yourself about that every single day, you'll be able to walk with your head up high. You are not ashamed of what the gospel has done for your life. And when God releases you into a new opportunity, despite your sin and despite your failure, you walk armored up with your head up high because you have been released in Jesus play and to fight to fight again so so the next time you feel unworthy or unqualified or underdressed you just remember that you absolutely are okay you are underqualified you are underdressed and you are unworthy you you really are unprepared you're totally unprepared and in within yourself you don't have what it takes you simply don't have what it takes you're operating at a massively deficit position on your own but here's the glad reality. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. I'm going to say it to you again. God doesn't call the qualified because they don't exist. No one's qualified. But he radically qualifies the called and you have been adopted and chosen and forgiven and given riches and wealth and you are called and because of that you're now qualified in the cross because of Jesus sent by your heavenly father and each and every one of us as Christians have been called and qualified in Jesus therefore we have been released to deliver the message and to serve God's people with our heads up high and to be spirit Field mail carriers of the good news. Okay, now track with me. Focus. But mail carriers 
are responsible for every single resident and how they open their mail and obey their mail and submit to their mail and arise and go and, and call out in light of what the mail's saying. Maybe there's a bill that says PG&E says, go to the office, pay this bill. A mail carrier is not responsible for the responses of the residents and what they do with it. Like, like that's not the job of a mail carrier. Just ask Brother Ezekiel in our church. He used to be a mail carrier in the state of Washington. He'll affirm what I'm saying. Folks, it's simple. A mail carrier carries the mail and delivers it faithfully, on time, without delay, rain or shine. And as we are spirit-filled mail carriers of Christ's gospel, we are confidently called to share the good news faithfully, on time, without delay, whether it's convenient or not, rain or sunshine. We we carry the, the mail. We carry the good news. It's it's important. So 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 track with me. Just deliver the mail and let God deal with the contents of what comes next because you're an ambassador of God and you're not an ambassador of your own ideas and your own philosophies and your own practices. You're not an ambassador of yourself. So watch out for those fiery darts from the enemy or your own personal devastating shame that comes from within you. Because if you keep going around telling yourself, am I worthy? Am I worthy? Am I worthy? I'm fallen. I've messed up. I screwed up. I'm miserable. Am I worthy? Am I, am I worthy? If you keep going around talking like that to yourself, you're going to remain forever stuck and miserable and hopeless, and you're going to repetitively come to the correct answer that you are unworthy. You are unworthy. So instead, activate the belt of truth and armor up because the truth is despite your unworthiness you have become worthy and perfected in christ so get your eyes off of yourself and put them on the cross put them on the cross folks that's that's where that's where we live in the sweet spot of of the christian of the christian faith because jonah failed miserably and david failed miserably I said David, yeah, 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 the one who was, yeah, him, that guy, the man after God's own heart. That guy failed miserably too. In fact, secular historians often say that, that David failed so miserably with his moral failures that they don't understand why the Bible refers to him as a man after God's own heart, and they have even more um, um, confusion of why Christians celebrate him as the great example. <laughs> like, that is, man, when you've got a bunch of historians looking back on your life saying, we don't understand why you get this, this title, that's, that's, a, that's a pretty serious reputation filled with a lot of failure. David had a lot of failure, but the Bible teaches us, track with me, all is going to be legit. The Bible teaches us that David was considered a man after God's own heart despite his failures because his understanding of God's authority and supremacy and, his, and combined with David understanding his own own fragility. I'm going to say to you again, David was known as a man after God's own heart because of his radical understanding of God's authority and his supremacy. That's why you saw his zealousness against Goliath, but it was combined with David's palpable honesty about his weakness. Read the book of Psalms, that's Psalter. David radically understood that he was fragile and that he was broken and that he was a man filled with mistakes and the genuineness of his disposition and his genuine affection and respect for God said it made God look at David and his great understanding and his great humility and the Lord said oh yes oh yes I'm going to use 
I'm going to use him. He's, he's a little rough around the edges, and I'm going to need to send my son Jesus eventually to atone for some real problems and discrepancies in his character, but, but, and, and we're going to get him aligned in those ways, but I see his heart, and his heart is genuine, and his heart desires me, so I'm going to use him. And, and folks, every hero of the faith, every hero of the faith in the Bible will have some version of that same account. And I mean it. Every single hero of the faith in the Bible had their bad days. Every hero in your life, your mentors, the people you look up to, they're going to have bad days. You on your best day will have bad times. Man, I still don't think you get it. I'm trying to preach to you today. Okay, so you remember Abraham? Everybody know Abraham? 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 He's referred to as the father of faith. That's legit. The father of faith, that's a legit title and position. And God called Abraham, check this out, God called Abraham away from his map and all his plans to go that which he didn't know where he was going. And guess what Abraham did? He obeyed. Miracle. That's that's pretty awesome, right? Indeed, it pleased the Lord. And, and then God told Abraham that one day he was going to have so many kids that he wouldn't be able to count them. They'd be like stars in the sky. And guess what? Abraham believed him in that moment too. And God was like, well done, my son, Abraham. I'm impressed with your obedience. That makes, that makes me happy. And, and maybe you're thinking to yourself right now, wow. Wow. Abraham, he's he sounds pretty amazing. I, I could never have character and walk so faithfully like him being called to go that which I don't know where I'm going. Okay, okay. Well, then Abraham went to a certain kingdom that had a certain king that saw his wife and was like, wow, Abe. You see that girl right here? I hope she's not your wife because she's freaking hot. And, 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 so, and so in that moment, Abraham, knowing that this king had a reputation for murdering husbands to take their wives when he was attracted to them so that he, that he could have their wives as his own, instead referred to his own wife as his sister and, and offered his wife to the king. Wait a minute. Hold up. I thought this was the father of faith, right? I thought this was the man of all men and the king of all faith. Like, if Abraham was so mighty and he had so much faith, why was he so scared to tell this king that this woman, this, this hot woman, was his wife? Are you kidding me? Why, why, would a, why would Abraham choose to lie and not trust the same God who had been providing and providing and protecting him all this time. Like, like, where's your faith, Mr. A.B. Scary Baby? Like, what's going on? I mean, my man Abraham activated his cowardly disposition and literally offered his wife as a sexual object to this sleazy, snake, nasty king because he was afraid to tell the truth and defend her and trust his God. Like, what a terrible douche, right? What a terrible husband. So, folks, Abraham... Even Abraham had his bad days, his bad days too. But the story goes on that God intervened on that situation. Go check that out. And he provided for that. And he redeemed Abraham through that. And most importantly, folks, he continued to use Abraham beyond that. I'm going to say it again. God intervened on that. God provided for that. God redeemed him through that. And he continued to use Abraham 
beyond that. And even though you've you you've had your bad days and and, and you just may have land and you may have had to land the plane on some situations that you are ashamed of, land the plane on this fact: God wants to intervene on your behalf, despite your shortcomings. God has provided for your mistakes. God has provided for your sins. And in that, he wants to redeem you through that. And he most importantly wants to continue using you beyond that, no matter what, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've done. So so for the rest of your life, when you're reading the Bible, know that it's, it's not about Paul, and it's not about Peter, and it's not about Luke, and it's not about Jonah, and it's not about Amos, and it's not about Timothy. It's about it's about our God. Because if you start reading the Bible rightly and lifting up the main attraction in Jesus for who he is, if you can activate your spirit-filled disposition away from your narcissistic tendencies to think that every single thing is about you, because it's not, if you can see that God is for God and that that's not a weird thing at all, but it's a beautifully beautifully, ridiculously amazing thing, you'll be able to relax, you'll be able to chill, you'll be in the sweet spot, folks, the sweet spot of the Christian life. And and then you'll be a mature Christian who's deepening out and, and understanding that God calls Paul's and God calls the Peters and the Jonas and the Amos's and the Abraham's and the Brandon's and the U's, despite their limitations, both in ability and in purity, and towards your lacking ability, listen to me, and towards that lacking ability that you have, God will equip you beyond your capacity when required to do what he's called you to do. You got to trust him, and towards your lacking purity, Jesus paid for your deficit and that gap on the cross, so trust him and let him continue to work through that in your life. Don't you dare give up on your purity. You know, when, 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 Peter was asked, when, when Peter was asked who Jesus was and he gave his answer, his answer was so legit and it was so profound that he just said, dude, upon that answer, I'm going to build my church. Well done, Peter. That was a good good job. But, but then later, Jesus would grab Peter by the collar and say, Peter, Listen to me. You're going to sin, and you're going to sin real bad. It's going to put you into a really, a really tough spot. It's going to be disastrous. And I want you to know that Satan wants to wickedly sift you like wheat. And, and when you're done going through that season, I want you to then be restored. You're going to be restored, and I'm going to strengthen you so you can strengthen other people with your amazing with your amazing testimony. testimony. Now, now I don't know about you, but if I heard Jesus tell me that preemptively, uh, a story like that, I might have to tell Jesus and say something like, Jesus, like, can I avoid that? Like, like, let's skip that part. Can I just adjust my situation right now? Like, I don't know if, 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 if you're tracking with me, but that's what I would be saying. Like, hold on, hold on, Jesus. You're telling me in advance I'm about to go do this? Like, can I just avoid that? Like, I don't want to go through that. Like, I imagine Peter was like, no, like, Let's just go the other direction. And I imagine Jesus saying, No, no, you don't have enough desire to and will to obey me 
Brandon, you're not quite ready to lay down and, and look up, so, so I can't really use you because I can't get you fired up towards the callings and the things that I'm calling you to do. I'm looking, I'm looking at your heart. So you need to go through this breakdown right now, my son, Brandon, just for a little bit, because through that breakdown, you're going to lay down and you're going to give me your full and your undivided attention in a way that you, you're not available for me right now. And, and from there, I'm going to prepare you from the inside out to do all that I'm calling you to do with your life. Brandon, I need to take you low before I take you high. Now, trust me, my son. Folks, so, so, so many people believe that if they just had everything together, if they had everything together and they had all the answers and they were, and they were so perfect, then they would have all the influence that they, could, that they need to impact, to impact people. Like, is that you? Is that, is that your belief? Okay, listen to me. Did you know what impresses people way more than that? Being perfect and everything together? You want to know what really moves the needle and impresses people? You having a backstory. That's what's impressive. One that's with imperfection and, and grittiness, yet hope and, and deliverance and, and resurrection from your situation. That's what impresses people. And I'm just giving you real talk right now, folks. It's when you're not perfect and it's when you acknowledge your, your minnows and your guppies and the whales in your story and how you then overcame them in Jesus. Folks, that's when you start to become an influential an influ uh, influential person. And, and it's in those stories and through your reconciled relationship with God now vibrantly and brightly on display despite your cracks that God gets the glory. But, but do you know what else the cracks in your story do for you redemptively? Folks, those cracks in your story and those breakdowns protect you from taking the credit and the glory for yourself. So, so when God decides to use you and you preach that, that awesome message and, and people get saved or, or when you're at that family function and, and you get to do the big speech that gets the whole family ooing and, and, and gawking and wowing about, about your performance and everyone's patting you on the back for, for what you've done and, and when you get to be the, the center of attention and you get to move the needle in your family or in the business or in an organization or, or your friendship circles, all those cracks and all those breakdowns that you went through remind you that these present victories are not your glory. They're God's glory. Are you tracking with me? And that's because you know who you are, right? Because you have cracks and you have those breakdowns. You know deep down inside what you're capable of and what you can do when you're left to your own devices. So, so God allows you to experience those seasons of failures and, and those seasons of weakness in order to protect you from taking glory for yourself. Now, now did you know that even your sin and even your failure, that God can use that to bring you near to him? Did you know that? Okay, track with me. Because it's easy to just assume that, that God is automatically nearer to you when you're doing great and when you're getting up earlier than everybody else and you're praying more than everybody else and you're reading more of the Bible than everybody else and knowing more than everybody else. Like, like it's pretty easy to hold your head up high and say, I'm tight with the Lord because of all these things that I'm doing 
than I'm doing right. But the reality is, folks, you can easily do all those things and yet be as far from the Lord as ever, living your own little self-made kingdom, and you wouldn't even know it. He's after the heart. Folks, there's a reason that the Bible teaches that the Lord is near the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Psalms 34, 18. Well, well, why? Because because there's a position and a disposition that we have when we're on our back. We're distracted in the world. We're distracted in our own kingdoms. Even when we're doing Christian work, we find our own narcissistic tendencies in that. But when we are brokenhearted and we are desolate and in despair and we are laying on our back, we have a one-track vision to look up to God. Or, or when it says, there's a reason why the Bible teaches, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of the mall. Psalms 34, 19. Okay, well, well, why? Well, the afflictions are many because as you're walking for the Lord and you're doing what God's called you to do as a deepened out Bible-believing Christ-exalting Christian, you're constantly not only being hitting by, hit by fiery darts from the enemy, but you're fighting, you're wrestling against yourself. We're in a Christian war. It's your flesh constantly trying to take over and your spirit saying, no, no, no. So many are the afflictions of the righteous because they're standing against that pressure. The pressure of the enemy, the pressure of the world, the pressure of the culture, and the pressure of yourself. But here, the beauty is God delivers you out of them all. Folks, this is about God's glory. God gets the glory when he delivers you out of these many afflictions. And God gets the glory when he moves you out of a brokenhearted place. Like, like can't you see? It's not that our pain and our problems and our pouting and our pontificating and our seasons of pressure are to be thought of as beautiful or permissible or something to lift up in and of themselves, but rather it's the relentless pursuit of God's compassion and his kindness and his mercy and his grace and his forgiveness in our problems and in our pouting and in our pontificating and in our seasons of pressure and how he rescues us and redeems us. Folks, that's what makes it beautiful and worthy of praise. I don't know if you're getting this. So when God uses us as the weirdos and the wackos that we are, the Bible says that he confuses the wise and the strong and the noble, and he gets the glory. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27. And, and that's a really, really good message for our audience to hear today because there's not many strong and noble and valiant and, and millionaire and billionaires and presidents and, and, and mayors and governors listening to this sermon today. But we, all, but, we are all, but we are all called, nevertheless, to represent our king by the power of his might. And that, folks, that's a really, that's a really good deal. Okay, okay, so so Jonah finds himself on the beach and, and he's he's shaking this vomit off, isn't that? Yeah. He's he's shaking this vomit off, wondering what to do next, yet the Lord was right there to support him. He was right there. Just just look at chapter three, verse one. It's it's on your screen. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. Man, this is so stinking awesome to me. It just is. Did Jonah deserve a second chance or a second word from the Lord? Like, no way. He didn't deserve it at all. Jonah didn't deserve a second chance or a second word. He deserved to be 
backburned and, 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 and bottom shelved. That's what Jonah deserved. Yet here is God giving him another chance, saying, Hey, Jonah, welcome to the beach of Nineveh. Good to see you. You look a little crazy out of sorts a little bit, I'll be honest, but, but back to what I was saying earlier before you decided to do this rebellious journey in the first place. place. And, and folks, he gives Jonah the same exact word and command and opportunity a second time. That is massive. God gave Jonah the exact same story and the same exact opportunity a second time. And this just speaks tremendous volumes about our Lord because no other religion boasts of a God that gives second chances and third chances. Yet our God, Yahweh, Jehovah Jireh, the great provider, the one and true only God is the God of second chances and 10th chances and 34th chances. Praise Christ. And the Bible is filled with story upon story to affirm that reality. Okay, eyes up here with your mind so clear. Eyes up here with your mind so clear. Listen, how many of you today need a second chance? Just raise your hand if you need a second chance. Okay, any third chance people in here? Who needs a third chance today? Okay, how many of you are, are, are already on your fourth chance? Just raise your hand and be honest. Any fourth chance people in here? Okay. How many of you promised the Lord to do something and you've done the opposite more than 50 times? Just just raise your hand. Just raise your hand. Okay, now now how many of you made a promise to the Lord to do something and, and you did the opposite and you can't you can't even keep count of how many times that was? I want you to I want you to raise, I want you to raise your hand. Okay, now how many of you lied again, again in the sermon by not raising your hand at all? Come on. And 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 for everyone who raised their hand at the at the 50 mark, that would be me, Jesus Louise. Like, like what kind of person are you? 50 times you've tried to do something for the Lord and you failed? Like, what kind of person are you? Are you? Well, I'm going to tell you. You're human. That's what you are. You're human. Folks, most of us really want to do good. We want to do good. We want to do good. We want to do we want to do good. But did you know that Jesus was asked by Peter one time if he should forgive someone seven times? And, and, and Jesus responded, folks, and he said, actually, you should forgive 70 times 70. I mean, 70, seven times, 70 times. That's how much, Peter, you should forgive. Now, now, quick mental math will tell you that that's 490 times of forgiveness. However, however, we know this. I don't think Jesus was looking at that 490 number at its face value, but, but rather, I believe that Jesus was implying that forgiveness, folks, is a lifestyle to be embodied daily. It's not an occasion to be counted with an end in sight. And God on high, he's the ambassador in the image of that. Are you tracking? God has established that forgiveness is a lifestyle based upon his disposition and how he carries himself to us. And then Jesus came in the form of flesh to carry out that message. And we are to embody that. We are to embody that now. Forgiveness is not something to be counted with an end in sight. It's something that we embody as, as a lifestyle. Because when you find yourself walking in a lifestyle of forgiveness, you find yourself walking in step with the one who you represent. 
and his name is Jesus. And yet, how often are we so quick to pull back our forgiveness card? Come on. How often do you do that? Tell the truth. How quick are you to for, just pull back that, that forgiveness card when people when people wrong you? Like, how quick are you to judge someone else's speck in their eye and not even deal with your own plank? And, and here, the story of Jonah is revealing to you and to me that God's word came a second time. And we got to deal with that as Christians. Woe to us out here that want to be judgmental and we want to we want to be the judge and jury and not give people other chances. We have to deal with the text. And right here in the text, God is revealing in his word that Jonah was getting a second opportunity. But but what would have happened if Jonah would have heard the word of the Lord this second time and he would have still chose to head in the wrong direction and perhaps even go back to Joppa and find another boat? Have you ever thought about that? What would have happened if Jonah would have taken this second opportunity and ran himself to Joppa again and found another boat? Well, well, for all the honest Christians today that, that failed to keep their promise to the Lord in their life over 50 times, which honestly, folks, we all have because we're not perfect, we all know what would have happened. You know what would have happened. Another storm, another well, another crisis would have occurred until Jonah tapped out. God would have provided more vomit and more beaches for our man Jonah. So, so all the disproportionate fear that comes from one that comes from one verse in the New Testament about having your conscience seared and being separated from God forever, we need to stop jumping to that so quickly. Do you hear me? We have to stop that because you're belittling the cross when you talk like that. Don't you talk like that about our Savior King, Jesus Christ. God's love and God's pursuit and God's grace and God's mercy is infinitely bigger and infinitely wider than you could ever imagine. Folks, so much of that talk about having your conscience seared and, and being separated from ever, so much of that talk came from the early church. Let me give you some history. It came from the early church that was growing afraid of the licentiousness that was growing rapidly in the towns and the communities. And so they used and they wielded that, that verse as a scare tactic to get behavioral modification so that the people would look more like what God was calling them to look like in the Bible. And it's flat out spiritual abuse. And that moment in historical time has carried through today and there's a disproportionate fear towards one verse in the Bible when the Bible is oozing all over the place saying God forgives and God gives 10th and 35th and 100th chances. Do you know how many people I've met with that said, is my conscience seared? Is my conscience seared? You know what I tell them? The fact that you're in my office asking me if your conscience is seared means it's not seared. Stop that talk people of God. But so so we as the Bible believing, Christ exalting, Christ submitting, glad participants in God's stories, we don't do that. We're not going to do that. You hear me? We do not scare people to the cross. We lovingly guide them there. We do not scare people to the cross. We guide them there. The Bible says that we follow God from grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. That's how it works. So, so at that point in the ancient church, when they were worrying about the people, what they needed to do is to tap out, get on their knees and lift their, their hands up as priests and pastors and say, God, your people are going awry. You are the God of multiple chances. 
provide a well for them to bring them back into repentance. But we do not, we do not use the Bible to, to pervert and pull people, scaring people into the cross because we serve a God who gives grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. And don't you ever forget that. I've said it a thousand times, and I'm going to say it a thousand more times. Christians aren't sinless. It's not happening. Christians aren't sinless, but they do grow, and they learn to sin less and less and less. And as the, as the Holy Spirit sanctifies you, and as you grow, and as you commit, and as you recommit day by day, you know what I'm saying? As you commit and then recommit day by day by day, you simply sin less. That's the target, and that's the goal. And, and each time you, you pull yourself off of that beach, did you hear what I said? Each time, it's not if, it's when. Each time you pull yourself off of that beach and you, and you rub that vomit off and you tune in again to the word of the Lord, you will hear another word from the Lord another time and you'll have another opportunity to do the right thing. And so the question really is, I mean, excuse me. So the question really isn't, is God speaking to you anymore? The question is always, are you listening? I'm going to say that again. The question isn't, is God still speaking to you? Is he not talking to me more? <laughs> is my conscience seared? That's not the question. The question is, he's talking to you. He's the God of second chances. But are you listening to him? So, 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 so how many of you want to hear a word from the Lord today? Because I do. How many of you want to hear a word from the Lord today? How many of you want a clear direction and directives from the Lord, your God? Okay, so, so what are you doing to receive that message right now? What are you doing right now to receive that message? Are you tuned in? And are you listening? Because listening takes some energy, doesn't it? Like, like it takes work and it takes participation. And, and God wants to use you in what he's going to do next in his story. And he wants you to be a part of that story. But you have to be willing to put some work in. And you've got to participate. Or are you with me? Now, now I'm a pastor for a living, okay? And, and I study the Bible as a job. That's my profession. And, and there's just things that just boggle, boggle my mind. Because here God is, and he wants to see the Ninevites touched, right? He wants to see the Ninevites touched, and he wants to see the Ninevites saved, yet he won't touch them, and he won't save them without Jonah's help. And that's so interesting to me. Like, like there's a lot of good prophets, folks, that were on the scene during this time period historically. Like, God could have activated Amos. He could have activated Obadiah or Isaiah or, or Jeremiah. He could have gotten any one of these legit guys. But he's like, nah, I want to do this through you, Jonah. I want to do something through you, Jonah. Jonah. But, but maybe Jonah missed it, folks. Maybe Jonah missed it. Maybe Jonah didn't understand the magnanimous kindness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe Jonah didn't know the love of God. Because, because God was like, I'll show you my love, my son. This one's going to be just for you, Jonah. I'm not going to relent. I'm going to pursue you. I'm not going to turn away from you. I'm not going to get Obadiah. I'm not going to get Jeremiah. Jeremiah. I'm going to wait for you, and I'm going to work through you, and we're going to do this thing, my son, together. Wow. Because, folks, maybe Jonah in pre-Jonah chapter zero, maybe he had a bad attitude. 
Maybe God saw that in him. Maybe he, maybe Jonah, maybe God saw that Jonah, despite the good works he was doing as a prophet, maybe he had a bad attitude at, at the heart level. And perhaps God knew that Jonah was in need of a revival, his own revival, separate from Nineveh. Maybe, maybe God saw in Jonah in Jerusalem while he was leading in the church and was leading in the community that there was something dead in him and that he was kind of softening out and mellowing out and he wasn't as vibrant like he was when he first tapped out, looked up at LinkedIn. And, and maybe God knew that Jonah needed to be, he needed to be revived again. So, so I want you to make sure you haven't forgotten how nasty these Ninevites are so you can understand what I'm trying to tell you right now. Okay, so know this. When the, when the Ninevites would, would conquer a neighboring village or town, they would capture their victims and take the skin off of their bodies. They would cut the skin off of their bodies, and then they would take the skin, and they would cover the outside walls of the Syrian villages of and their own homes, their own homes in Nineveh, in order to demonstrate just how gnarly and evil and sick and happy about doing it that they really were. That's gross. Okay, so, so the word of the Lord came to Jonah again, telling Jonah again with another opportunity again to go to Nineveh again. And, and I want to say it one more time, that it really blows my mind that God refused to do this mission towards the Ninevites without Jonah. He wasn't going to do it. Folks, this was exclusively Jonah's job. He was made for this. Oh man, and God has you called and made for things in your life. And so and so the word of the Lord comes to Jonah and 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 and, and Jonah goes. And so I want to ask you a question. What's your job? What are you made for? Because Jonah was was called for this job and, and Jonah was made for this job and, and God didn't move on. So so what's your job? And, and what are you made for? Because God has made you unique and he's made you special to do your part. And no one else can do your part, folks. Only you. Only you can do that which God has specifically called you to do. Listen, God could have easily replaced our man Jonah, and he didn't for a reason. And some of those reasons, folks, I'm going to be honest with you, we're never going to know. We're never going to know why God did that. You can, you, you can go to seminary, you can get a lot of interpretations, but the gospel truth is we're never going to know all the implications and all the reasons that God would move on. But what we do know is that God wasn't moving on without Jonah. So, so if you and I decide to take our little detours and, and cross our arms and, and refuse and throw our hands up, the Lord just waits for us and he and he waits for us so we can get back in our story and but folks when we do that we lose out on beautiful stories and 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 this is this is this is the weighty part and other people miss out on what they could have been provided through you the god in you when you act like that because the reality is many Many Ninevites died in those months and, and perhaps in those years that Jonah chose to flee. Are you tracking? Oh, yeah, we're going to make this Bible come to life. Think about it. There was war going on. There was normal sickness going on in the city. There were freak accidents, people falling off roofs. Like, rest assured, many Ninevites didn't get to hear a word from the Lord, and they didn't get to an opportunity to tap out, and they didn't get an opportunity for eternal life because of Jonah's sin. Because Jonah didn't show up when he was supposed to. People, folks, people lost out. And that's the ripple effects, folks, of our sin decisions, our sin 
is sin costs rebellion. Rebellion costs. However, as soon as you say yes to the Lord, and I mean a genuine yes, a, a comprehensive yes to the Lord, a yes that has no restraints of any unforgiveness or, or any bitterness that you're hanging on to towards anyone or, or anything. Like, like when you give the Lord a genuine spirit-filled yes that supersedes who you've hurt, like, like Jonah hurt people, and he probably had shame and regret for what he did to those mariners. These boatsmen have a lifetime sentence of, of, of money that they're never going to be, be able to pay off. Their sons have inherited a vast amount of debt. Jonah's carrying this around, folks. This is a Disney Channel show. But here's the thing. Until you're ready to say yes to the Lord in your new story, despite those who you've hurt, and until you're willing to give a genuine and comprehensive yes, Lord, despite who's hurt you, I can't do this because this happened to me. Just like Jonah, who probably felt that people that he knew personally had been affected by this, this these people, these Ninevites had hurt so many people. It's very likely that somehow they had touched something to do with Jonah's story. You have to be willing to give God a genuine, yes, Lord, I'm going to follow you and I'm going to do what you've called me to do. I'm going to rise and go and call out. When you do that genuinely beyond your own sin and those who you've hurt and beyond your own pain of those who've hurt you, when you give that type of yes, Lord, beyond both of those realities, something amazing transpires folks because because all of a sudden god begins to rehab your sin and and heal your trauma and it begins to use you immediately for amazing amazing purposes so so just let this sink in for a minute god has created you special okay just accept that you are very special to the lord okay so so let's look at verse two again because we got to keep tracking there's we're not done yet here we go Arise, this is God talking again, <laughs> arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. Okay, and, and did you notice that God didn't really clarify what the message was that he wanted Jonah to say yet? Did you see that in the text? All he was saying is, you're going to Nineveh, that great city, and that and that this was a great city of a lot of atro atrocities, and, and I want you to address some things. Like, however, I want you to pay attention to the details right now, okay? Because God did not clarify to Jonah what message he was going to have Jonah give or deliver to the Ninevites. And folks, this is what I call progressive revelation, okay? Progressive revelation. And I'm not referring to pr the progressive revelation doctrine that attaches itself to salvation. Um, that's, that's something different. But rather, I'm talking about a term that I use to better explain how God moves through the Bible and walks people through their story one step at a time without them knowing every little thing that's going to happen every step of the way. That kind of progressive revelation. Okay, so, so the Lord is giving Jonah progressive revelation one step at a time as Jonah obediently moves forward. Jonah's not getting the full picture. Are you tracking with me? He's getting it piece by piece by piece. And that leads to a very short but a very important principle that I want you to, to write down right now because it's, it's a game-changing one. Here it is. It's, it's on your screen. Light obeyed always brings more light. Light obeyed 
always brings more, more light. Oh, man, that is so good. Because when you walk in God's obedience and do the things that God's asking you to do, God will tell you, folks, what to do next. And then he'll tell you what to, what to do next. Therefore, light obeyed always brings more light to your path. And more light to your path means you can know what then to do next with your footsteps. So, so you don't have to freak out all the time and worry about what's next. And five years over here or 20 years over there, you just have to do what God's calling you to do right now, today, in this very season. That's how you live as a legit Christian in the sweet spot of the Christian life. Okay, so, so, so now we're at the point where Jonah finds himself listening more intently to what God is asking him to do. So let's keep reading now into verse, into verse 3. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was, exceedingly, was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breath. Okay, now now notice what the Lord told him to do and preach. Because he didn't say go to Nineveh and, and meet the mayor and become a political player. No, God didn't say that. He didn't say go there and join some humanitarian effort and scrape all the graffiti off the walls of Nineveh and show who you are through acts of, of, of kindness. No, we don't see that. He didn't say go to the beach and clean up the whole beach and impress all the locals there and, and show your mag, how mag, um, magnanimous you are and your benevolence to people therefore showing them who I am. No, no, none of that was what God told him to do. Instead, God told him to go there and to preach. Go preach, Jonah. Go call out, Jonah. Go preach to my people. Just preach my word, Jonah, and give them the truth because it's the truth that's going to set people free. Amen? It's the truth, folks, that sets people sets people free, the gospel truth. Like, like I don't know about you, but I don't need my ears tickled and my back scratch if there's something going wrong with me. Like, for me, just tell me the truth straight up. I want the truth, yo. Just tell me. And so, and so when Jonah shows up, he's like, okay, listen, here's how it is. I got an eight-word message for you, and, and it's from the Lord, and, and here it is. In 40 days, it's going to rain hellfire and brimstone on you, so you need to figure it out and change your trajectory because the Lord, thy God, is coming, and he's calling you to repent. Change your trajectory. And, and that message was preached with urgency, and the Holy Spirit allowed to change the direction of people's lives, folks. That's amazing. Okay, and what's so sad is that we're living now in a culture today that doesn't have a place for preaching or, or for the truth or for sharing a directive from the Lord anymore. Our culture doesn't even allow for that. Instead, we're, we fall into this kind of relational evangelism in our Christian culture that where we just go around trying to be nice to everyone all the time. And it's disgusting. Folks, and we, and we falsely and with great stupidity believe that if we were just the nicest Christians on the planet that people have ever seen before, that that's how they're going to know Christ is real and they're going to get saved. That's ridiculous. Listen, we, we, we're living in a, in a whacked out Christian culture that says if I drive around my neighborhood and I act like a really good neighbor and I wave long enough and, I, and I'm really nice and I say, Hi, Mr. Rogers, that they're going to drop everything and start serving Jesus. 
Like, no way, that's not enough, and that most definitely won't get it done. And honestly, that's why Christians at large, folks, in today's world, let me tell you, we suck. We absolutely suck at being ambassadors in large part for Jesus, particularly in America. We have forgotten what it means to be truth bearers, passionate truth bearers that are serious and are called to carry a type of New Testament intensity and urgency when sharing the truth and standing up for the truth and fighting for the truth and declaring the truth. We can't forget about that. Folks, people often come up to me and say, Pastor Brandon, you're, you're a very intense guy when you preach, and, and just in general, you, you preach so seriously, and you're so intent, you're so urgent, you live so urgently all the time, you're, you're really special in, in that way. Okay, okay but folks, I don't get it, I really, really don't get it, because I don't feel special at all. It feels, it feels biblical to me, if I'm, being, if I'm being honest, like, wake up, the Bible story, uh, uh, excuse me, what Bible story story are you reading or have you read in the Old Testament or the New Testament where you don't see urgency, intensity, seriousness, and ferociousness about the gospel within the truth bearers who are giving it? From the women to the men, you see urgency and intensity and seriousness and ferociousness. So, so to me, the real question isn't, is, the, is my intensity or is my urgency special, uh, special and appointed by God? No. In reverse, is, I would say, is the everyday neutrality and the pseudo-kindness that so many people are displaying, is, is, that, what's, is that what's not normal? Or is that a, a disease of God's design? Gonna ride. Okay, so so now it's getting now it's getting personal and, and uncomfortable now, isn't it? But but that's okay. So so hear me loud and clear. We are not called as Christians to prioritize being nice to people all the time. Nice, 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 nice. That that's not the point. Because some of the kindest, most compassionate things that you could ever do or provide for a person is to tell them the gospel truth, to arise and to go and to call out the truth and say hard things and step into difficulty and accept uh, folks some friction in that in that situation and and i fully recognize that that most people listening to today's sermon are not pastors and preachers i, I i'm aware of that like well pastor brandon this sounds like just what you're supposed to do be very urgent and serious about the message of the god the gospel to being a pastor okay i'm acknowledging that most of us aren't pastors but when you share the truth with someone it doesn't matter how it lands with them and it doesn't matter what happens afterward that's not your part because what you've actually done when you bring an urgent message a serious message a message from the lord is you give the lord an opportunity to use your obedience folks you you've given the lord an opportunity to do something with you beyond your sight and beyond your expectations and beyond your understanding as someone who has had the beautiful privilege of walking people to the cross. I could tell you that in the times that I felt that there could be no possible redemption, God would use me in weird, wacky ways, and, and it was a legit. The Bible says it this way in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 11. So shall the words be that come that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Oh man, that's good. Because when you share the gospel truth with, with boldness, 
even a simple message like Jonah's becomes effective. If you just deal with the pressure and you just deal with your insecurity and you put the message out there, people will start to look at your life and they'll say, man, this guy or, or this, this girl may really know what they're talking about. He's, he's actually communicating something that resonates in my soul as as the truth. If you just get real and authentic about your own fragility and you share your spirit-filled testimony and then you declare God's truth to them about their circumstance and, and what God has to say about it, you just may be in a position to have the glad opportunity to share the words of the Bible with them in more totality, and hear me closely, in love. You'll have the opportunity to do that with love. And, and check this out. Jonah knew the word of the Lord and finally resolved to share the word of the Lord. I'm going to say that again. Jonah knew the word of the Lord, but now he was resolving to share the word of the Lord. And, 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 the, and the, the reaction and the response was amazing. So here's the thing. Do you have the word of the Lord? And if you have the word of the Lord in you, it's time, and it's time for you to resolve to now share the word of the Lord. Pay attention. It was preaching that Jonah used to make this happen. God used Jonah through the vehicle of preaching, not kindness, not, not, hi, Mr. Rogers, none of it, not cleaning up the walls, not playing political games. The word preached is how he used Jonah to make this happen. And for the purpose of this sermon and your life, preaching is when you boldly proclaim and declare God's word to be true, and you call people to attention because of it. I'm going to say that to you again. Preaching for all people, because we're all ministers, is when you boldly proclaim and declare that God's word is true, and you call people to attention because of it. And in that sense, we're all called to preach according to the Bible, okay? We're all called to preach in that way. We're all called to boldly proclaim and declare that God's word's true. God's word's true. And we're called to bring people and to call people to the attention of it in their life and, and, in, their, and in their circumstances. So, so, so how silly is it that, that so many Christians believe it's their, it's their niceness and their cuteness and their coolness and whatever else they are using to lead people to the Lord? I'm so tired of the, of the gimmicks and the rhetoric and the cheesiness and the small talk. Stop it! Because, because what people need desperately is the truth delivered by individuals that I'm hoping that's going to be you, brother or sister, who love God so much, who submit to God so much, who are obedient to God so much that they're willing to share it uninterruptedly with confidence for what it is. And, and that truth is what, what sets people free. In fact, in fact, Romans chapter 10, verse 14 says it so perfectly when God inspires Paul to say, how then will they call on him? referring to God, in whom they have not believed. How can they call upon a God that they, that they have not believed in? And how are they to believe in him, God, of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? That's us, folks. That's us. How can they respond to... How could the Ninevites have responded to a God that they haven't heard of? How can they respond to a God who doesn't speak? We have been called to speak 
Rhema, words of encouragement from the word of God over the life and call people out and saying, there's a better way for you. God has a better way for you. Like, like, can't you see? There is a call on your life to have the truth on your lips everywhere and all the time. Okay, we got to keep going. Let's track to, to verse, verse 4. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey in. So he, you know, okay, he tracks into the city about a day's in, and he called out. And he started preaching, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now, now I've already admitted that Jonah's message, was, Jonah's message was, was not the most eloquent, and I've already admitted that it wasn't the longest and it wasn't the most sophisticated. But it was effective, right? It was effective. And I'm sure there's people listening right now that are saying, wait, 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 hold on, that's it? You mean I can tell God's word and I can preach God's word and I can communicate God's word without stories and jokes and, and illustrations and I can still be effective? Wait, hold on. You mean that I don't have to entertain them and talk about uh, sports and, and, and vegetables and gardens for, for the first three months before I talk about Jesus? I can I can do that? And, and while we're at it, uh, I've always been wondering this anyway, Pastor Brandon. You, you never tell jokes or anything in your sermons. Like, that's really okay? You can, you can do that? Folks, folks, listen to me. Don't you see the glaring absence of jokes and small talk and cutesy ridiculousness throughout the Bible? Like, don't you recognize that there's an energy and an urgency and an intentionality reigning and ruling throughout the men and the women of the faith that claimed Christ as king in the scriptures? Open your Bibles. Listen, like like maybe it was the, have you ever thought about, maybe it was the urgency of the message that allowed the people of Nineveh to engage, not the eloquence. Like, like maybe it was the seriousness of what Jonah said that saved, that helped to bring the people into attention, not Jonah's professionalism. Maybe it was the fact that God called Jonah to do it and, and, and that there was no TED Talk or, or story plug needed to be effective. And, and maybe, just maybe, you, you are a much more vibrant and dangerous and powerful Christian than you ever realized if you just focused on the main thing and kept it the main thing. Listen, the older I get, the more I personally surround myself with content and conversation and people who are on mission to live with urgency and intentionality and intensity, folks. That's just where I'm at. And and I love eternal topics and I like talking about things that matter deeply and, and things that are important for my life and, and things that are uh, connected to human flourishing and, 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 and ways to deal with human suffering. Like that's what stimulates me at this point in my life. That's that's just where I'm at. So so I'm just being honest. if you if you talk to me and 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 you're talking about things that are super superficial and they're not important, like I'm just being honest with you. I I start losing interest really quickly and I start I start daydreaming. I try to be faithful, right? To to listen, but I, I honestly start I start daydreaming. And I think maybe Jonah had an audience that recognized that he wasn't there with a bunch of fluff trying to act like he was scruff McGruff. Like like maybe these Ninevites watched this man come out of the belly of a whale and looking like their false god but 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 quickly speaking in a way that was not like their false god like maybe these people saw that this man was limping and holding his body his his pain neurologically compromised 
body walking through the city, and he had a seriousness and a and and a, and a ferociousness and an urgency. Maybe, folks, maybe they noticed that, and maybe when Jonah spoke, it wasn't just the words, but it was the heart behind the words and the God behind the heart. Now that, now that's legit. Now, now for us and for you, our, our, our urgent message to people may not be letting them know that in 40 days they're going to die. Instead, for, for you and I, perhaps our urgent message is to let people know that their days are numbered and that their days, their days are ordered by God. And, and you need to let them know. That's our urgent message in our call, in our culture. We got to let them know that their days have radically been numbered, that, that God has a number on them and, and that, that life's not promised and that today, that today counts. And, and maybe our message is to let them know that right there in that moment that our days have been ordered and we've been ordered in this moment and we're trusting that God has sent us into this exchange with them for a reason. Oh man, I wish I, I had more time to really unpack all the beautiful realities about God ordering our days and, and God numbering our days, but, but we could talk about that offline. Okay, so, so now here's two very simple reminders to make you a more effective preacher, everyday Bible-believing, Christ-exalting minister and preacher that you are when you're sharing with people. I want you to feel confident, and I want you to be powerful. So, so here they are in light of what Jonah is doing and in light of what Jonah is sharing, okay? So, so here they are. They're immensely helpful if you apply them to your life. Here we go. Here's, here's one. Jonah kept it simple. Jonah kept it simple. Folks, when I was in my early 20s, I talked with people and I took some things I learned and that I was listening to and, and I tried to wow people and I tried to get really deep in some crazy doctrines and I tried to explain things in a fancy way. And I want you to know that almost every one of those attempts, folks, they were always unfruitful. I can't tell you how many people that I've met that have deepened down and they know, I mean, they just know so much about God's word. They've studied so much about God's word. They went to school for so long about God's word and they haven't brought one person to the cross. I can't tell you. I can go after name, after name, after name. I'm like, hey man, who have you walked into a vibrant relationship who was completely in the dark and now they're in light and God used you? Crickets, blanket. Folks, not successful. Folks, it's the simple truth. Keep your message simple. When you preach to this culture and you preach to your wayward family members, you preach to your wayward friends, you keep the message radically simple. And Mm, I want to unpack that, but we can talk about that another day. Number two, Jonah kept it real. Oh, man, Jonah was a real man with a real life and a real backstory, and it wasn't pretty. And, and there's a lot of real people listening to this sermon right now. And I want you to know that the people around you will respect you so much more if you just if you just get real with them, they will respect you infinitely more from your bleached and your humble and your hairless disposition, not your pontificating, fake, and guarded self. Don't you dare pretend to be perfect. Do you hear me? Don't you do that because people are going to see through that and it's going to be a negative reaction to our God. Instead, you allow them to understand you've been through some bellies of wells and you've had some vomit in your story but you're standing armored up victorious now and you want to share with them an important message okay so let's let's keep tracking now to to verse five 
And the people of Nineveh believed God. That's crazy. And they believed God. They called for a fast and put a sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Folks, when you walk in obedience, miracles are bound to happen. Because Jonah walked out and preached what we would consider, like I said, a crummy American contemporary sermon, but yet the message was used and saved a whole city. Because if it was up to us, be honest, if it was up to us in America, the first thing we would have done to save a place of this stature of nastiness and, 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 and evil, we would, have, we would have said, okay, let's get all of our top American pastors in the country. Let's grab them all, all the top guys. And then we're going to buy a website. And, and we're going to make sure the website has a really cool name because you, you can't do ministry at all without a website. And then we're going to get a really cool logo. And then we're going to have a strategic outreach meeting on a whiteboard. And, and don't forget to make a, a hoodie. Christian ministry is not wrong to get a hoodie with your logo on it. And we would start fabricating and formulating all these systems and all these plans and all these things. Yet here is Jonah looking whacked out and weird. He stinks. He smells. The people would have been reviling against the way he smells. It would have been repulsive. And he's preaching a very unattractive, non-fancy, constructed message. Yet God was doing something, okay? God was... God was working. Now, now I don't want you to minimize. Some, I, I mean, excuse me. I don't. I don't want to minimize some of the tools that I'm using right now in this sermon. Like, like obviously, I'm using things, and we're on this video, and we're we have some special effects, and I'm trying to bring this sermon ex experience to you in a in a quality way. But, but make no mistake about it. Here, here first for me right now. The real work that is occurring right now in your heart is from God alone. Praise Christ. It's it's not me and it's it's not the video. It's not the effects. It's God. God's using it to do something inside of you. And you got to believe that. And you got to know that. So, so whatever God wants you to do with your life and, and with my life and, and this church and, and this sermon, it's totally up to him. I can't do anything about that. Your job and, and my job is to tune our antennas towards him and to let them come up and to aim them at God and say, okay, Lord, I'm down for whatever. I'm down for whatever. God, talk to me. Speak to me. I'm down for whatever. What, what do you want next for me? Keep me humble, Lord. Above all things, I don't want to have to journey in another belly of the well again. Now, now I want you to notice in, in verse 5 that it doesn't say they, they believed in God. It's, I'm going to put on your screen again. It doesn't say that they, that, that they believed in God, but rather they believed God. Okay, so, so what's the difference? What's the difference between believing in God versus believing God? Okay, so 95% so of our American culture uh, believes in God. Did you know that? Barnard Group, Barnard Group and Life Study did a joint work. 95% of the people believe in God, but 95% but of the people most definitely don't believe our God. Like, like we, we do not look, does our culture look like it is a culture that at a 95% level is serving our God, the God of the universe? No. So believing in God and believing God are totally different things. You can believe in a God. You can believe that you can believe in the, the idea of a God, but not believe God in a radical way that impacts your life and changes your activity. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in James that even the demons believe in God, 
okay? To believe God means to actually respond to what he's declared to be true. Does that, does that make sense? And, and in reverse, if you're, if you're not responding to what God is telling you in Scripture, you're, you're revealing that, that you don't believe in him. And, and if you don't believe him, right, if you don't believe him, then, then you don't know him because all people who believe him, folks, they, they actually know him. And if you don't know him, then, then perhaps you're not. You're not his child. And now watch, watch me reverse this so you can see, see what, what, what I'm trying to show you so we can track together. Okay, if you're his child, you're his child, and, and the evidence of that is because you, you know him, and you know him, and, and therefore you believe him. And because you believe him, you're responding to him, and because you respond to him, you act a certain way, and that confirms and affirms the legitimacy of your adopted state as, as his child. Yet, yet, yet here we are with, with these Ninevites who are believing in God, and they're also believing God, and they're putting their belief into action in their lives right away and, and without delay. And, 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 I, and I'm saying all this because these guys are beginning to fast, and they're repenting, and they're proclaiming, and they're desiring to seek the Lord with all their heart and their mind. And folks, they're repenting. And, and repenting is most definitely not when you just keep doing business as usual is it no and that's and they're not doing business as usual uh, you saw the king's letter they're putting it all down now so so if you want to experience change and i don't care what that change is it could be spiritual or educational or physical or relational if you really want change you got to do the change you got to do the change if you want to experience the change. And, and these Ninevites began to repent, and they began to change their ways, and they began to change their trajectory, and they went, folks, in a different direction. And, and I want to end with this, this thought on revival that, that, that's so important that will hopefully just make you more unencumbered as you walk and navigate this life. Okay, so, so here's one. Okay, here it is. You can't control national and societal revival. So, so if anyone's listening today and you're preoccupied all the time with the status of America and, and what's going on with the government in America, hey, you just don't need to think about all that all the time and stress out about that all the time because you can't cause a revival. In a, you, that's not going to happen. Hey, as a matter of fact, you can't even control a local revival. You can't do it. You can't, you can't cause a revival in, in this church or in that church or, or even in your family. But, but do you want to know where you can radically make an impact and where you can radically be the igniter to a powerful revival? Folks, it's within yourself. Personal revival is where the power's at for you and I. God is the author of national and local and, and global and, and ecclesiastical revival. But we, we get to be the glad initiators of personal revival when we draw a mighty spirit-filled circle around ourselves and say that where we say, Lord, receive me. I'm, I'm listening to you now, Lord. My antennas are up and I'm alert again. Revive me. I'm already vibed. I've, I've tapped out. I've looked up. I've linked in, but but I've been I've been kind of mellowing out over this last season or two. I've been kind of mellowing out in my life. I haven't been leaning into you, so I need a revival in my heart. Revive me again, Lord. I'm ready for my next my next opportunity. And when you when you do that, God will begin to speak to you, and you'll find yourself walking in walking in revival. And then from there, folks, it becomes a game changing experience because God can do anything. 
in you and through you from that point. And so as we prepare to land the plane today, I want to leave you with my pastoral definition on revival. And I'm hoping that it's simple yet that it's that it's profound and productive for your life because we started off the sermon with the Oxford definition of revival from a technical standpoint, right? And now I want to give you a more pa- a pastoral, practical, biblically saturated definition of, of revival so that you can just kind of permeate in your soul right now and hopefully act in your life. So, so here it is. It's, it's on the screen. Revival is a return and a renewal to an absolute delight in the presence of God where he is so supreme and so superb and so attractive that you pledge allegiance to him and your security is found within your satisfaction and that these are the type of things you've got to read more than one time on your own to get the deeper implications. Folks, the revival happened in Nineveh because one man listened to God, and then that one man obeyed God, and he, and he was focused on his personal revival, not the Ninevites. He was in the belly of the well, and he was lifting up, and he was saying, I tap out. You're good, and, and you're gracious, and you're kind, and he dealt with himself at the soul and the heart level. And because of that, and as a result of that, God used him to do amazing things. And, and people, people in the millions believed in God because of this man's personal revival and, and, and what he did in obedience because of that revival, which brought him to this city to, to give this message. And therefore, they believed in God, and they believed God, and they repented to God. And then they began to minimize their fleshly comfort and their fleshly inclinations of what they were used to doing, and they started maximizing their spiritual performance. Are you, are you tracking with me? So, so for anyone, and I mean anyone that, that, that wants revival, in your own life. You've got to first know that it's not going to be some squeaky clean, easy street experience. Oftentimes, when we walk through revival, it happens because God has to break us down so that we'll lay down, so that we'll look up to get set up, to be fired up for that revival. And, and I don't want you to ever forget that. So it's going to take some time. You've got to take some time to, to cook in the oven a little bit with the Lord your God. And, and then over time, you'll begin to minimize more and more of your fleshly desires as you maximize your, your spiritual performance. And we call that, folks, revival. Because you're not going to wake up and you're not going to go through the drive through fast lane of your spiritual growth. That's not how it works. That you're not going to eat the deep riches of the, of, of the Christian life and of the deepened out walk as a mature Christian. It doesn't happen that way. Instead, you need to do the work and you got to get in the kitchen and you got to wash the produce and you got to season the meat and you have to take your time and cut the onions and, and saute the vegetables and put some real work in into this mill. And, but if you stick with it, the promise of the God of the universe based upon the text is that you're going to have an amazing mill set before you in Jesus. And that the Holy Spirit is going to be there with you every step of the way. Okay, so let's, let's end with nine ways that you can know if you're someone personally that's in need, in need of revival. Okay, here they are there. They're going to be on your screen. One, one way is when prayer ceased to be a vital part, I mean a vital central part of a professing Christian's life, you are someone who's in need of a revival. You just are. Number two, 
when the quest for biblical knowledge and truth and understanding ceases to exist within your heart, you are in need of a revival, brother and sister. And I want you to know that. Number three, when the reality of the condition of the lost people around you ceases to move you into action. So when you see lost people and there's nothing in your heart that moves towards them, you're someone who's in need. You're in need of a revival. Okay, when you do not rejoice in other, uh, excuse me, when you do not rejoice in other people's blessings, when, when they're getting blessed, but you instead are instantly struggling with that all the time, and you have envy in your heart, you are someone who's in need. You're in need of revival. Okay, when, when desires to be holy like Christ cease to drive your decisions every day, and you're just walking through life and you're not being motivated anymore. And, 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 and the desire to be like, man, I want to look like Christ. I want to talk like Christ. And that doesn't pump you up anymore. You're someone who's in need of revival. Number six, when you hear the Lord's name mocked and used in vain, and it doesn't bother you when you're just watching movies and TV and they just, I mean, they just, and they plaster his name and they, and they disrespect and dishonor his name. And there's no movement of cringe or uncomfortability, and you become desensitized. You're someone that's in need, folks. You're in need of revival. Number seven, when you can just watch and read and, and enjoy things that clearly displease the Lord and are not lined up with the Lord, something has gone wrong, and you're in need of revival. And, and when you find more delight in sin and gossip as opposed to harmony and unity as a deepened out brother and sister in Christ, you're someone that's in need of a revival in your life. And then finally, number nine, when injustice and human misery and, and these things are, are happening all around you and you do nothing to little at all, to alleviate it, you are someone that's in need, folks. You're in need of revival. And, and I think that, this, that it's safe to say, if we're all being honest, that the majority of us are, are in need of revival. We're in need of revival right now. And, and that's not a bad thing, right? Like That could be a really, really, really good thing because a revival only means that we're inclining ourselves and our ears and our attentions to say, Lord, I want to give you my full and undivided attention, and I'm ready for my next chance. I'm ready for my next opportunity, and my next chance and my next opportunity doesn't have to be because I did some horrible belly of the well thing. It can be a little minnow and guppy things that I keep falling off the rails in, but I'm ready. I'm ready for another chance, and, and, that's, and that's really good news. Let's, let's bow our heads and let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word and I thank you for Jonah. I thank you, Lord, because Jonah is a beautiful picture of your relentless pursuit and 
our opportunity to step into this love that you're lavishing on us, God. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that though there is a real seriousness, Lord, about what happens to those who keep running away from you, and that there is an endpoint that is in Scripture about us having a seared conscience and, and us being separated from you forever, what I love is that the overwhelming meta-narrative and the overwhelming illustrations and the overwhelming parables and metaphors are oozing and raining throughout the text that says you're a God of second chances and third chances and 25 chances and 25,000 chances and you just keep waiting and you keep on proclaiming you keep providing for us and we just say thank you for that God but may we be a people a deepened out people that don't mock your grace and don't take it that don't take lightly the cross, the cross, the cross. You did it on the cross. And you didn't do it so we could play Disney Channel. You did it so that we could know that on our worst day, we have an opportunity again to pick ourselves back up off the beaches of our Ninevehs. So, Lord, I pray right now for any brother or any sister who wants to tap out to that faulty living and that faulty thinking. Lord, I pray that you would begin to wash them with the rhema of your word and the truth of your word. Your truth is alive and it's so real and it's so productive and it changes people's trajectories. And Lord, if you can change the heart of a sickening king like Nineveh who led a people to do horrendous things and they can become Bible-believing, Christ-exalting Christians who have churches springing up and ministries springing up and, and restoration and, and celibate recovery groups all over the place in Nineveh, Lord, you could do a revival in our hearts today. So so for anyone who who is ready right now to to clean up their vomit in their story and to and to walk into your story, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would give them the confidence to put their feet one foot in front of the other on the shore of their Nineveh and to walk into the city with their heads high doing the things you called them to do because the fact that they're at where they're at is for a reason and you've put them there on purpose and may we walk in our purpose proclaiming the truth from the Lord of purpose. It's because of your beautiful name that we pray. Amen. Grace and peace.